Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hockey fans, the pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at even a bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. It called action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the 4th Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 213 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there? Hump day Wednesday. Almost there, gang. Couple more days. Weekend is here. I have a very special guest today. I have a record holder on the show today. We don't get many record holders around here, but I got one for you today. The Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, the Junior A League, the SJHL. I have their all-time penalty minute leader. In three seasons, this man picked up 1,339 minutes and penalties. He went on and played three seasons in the East Coast Hockey League with the Erie Panthers, where he averaged a point a game, as well as 250 minutes of penalties a season. It is none other than Yorkton's own Grant Ottenbright. And Grant was a great guest, and... uh, we talk for a long time, so I am not going to talk to you for a long time today. We'll get on with this interview because you didn't tune in to hear me. But uh, I said you got to pay some bills and that sort of thing around here. So as I said, I'm a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. There's over 50 shows in the network. All the NHL teams are represented. So whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you. 
And what are we down to four now? So we'll see the rest of the shows. I might they might be on break hiatus until next season. But uh, whatever team you're a fan of, check it out. And then of course for my off net, off network friends, we got uh, part time Oli Olin Salen Five for Fighting podcast. Of course he's on holidays again. When isn't he on holidays? Yeah, he's gallivanting up in the mountains there, out in the lake in the boat. Yeah, posting suggestive pictures on social media. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, he's like, oh, look at the view. And then he sticks his giant bison heat in the picture. Well, I'm trying to see the view, but I can't see anything. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Fire for Fighting podcast. I give him shit, but he does have a tremendous back catalog. Yablonski, Rob Ray, uh, Frank Bialois, on and on. Um well, when he is when he gets off the boat and down from the mountains, he might record something new. We'll see. It's hit and miss with that guy. Well, it depends. We'll see. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, if you happen to be on YouTube, check out the Five for Fighting YouTube channel. Um, he was uploading the East Coast Hockey League fights from this past season. It's pretty much every fight from the year that the year that was in the East Coast Hockey League. And uh, like I said some tough kids in that league. Travis Howe. Kyle Neubauer, Nico Blackman, uh, Matthew Gagnon, Garrett Klotz, on and on. Uh, Anthony Collins, who was his latest guest on his show. Um, yeah, some tremendous fights. So if you happen to be on YouTube, just hit that little subscribe button. It helps him out. And uh, we're trying to get Alec to a 1,000 subscribers because that way you can monetize your channel, make a few bucks off the deal too. So, But we need you to hit the subscribe button. So that would be very helpful. Then, of course, we got Kirill Lazito. We got Broadway Joe Lazito out there at Carnegie Hall. He's working, <clears throat> working away. So time has been limited as of late, and uh, I'm not quite sure where he is in terms of his podcast. Uh, it is the Coliseum Chronicles. It's a New York Islander enforcer podcast. Um, I know Joe, I said uh, last episode, Joe's sort of at a crossroads, I think. And um, we'll see what happens. You know, over the summer here, I'm sure work is busy and, uh, you know, trying to find guests is hard at the best of times. So, um, and I know it's been frustrating on his part. Um, and, uh, I think he just doesn't know where he's at right now in terms of what the show going forward. So, um, I'm not going to speak for him to say it. I'm not saying it's going away or anything like that. I just know from talking to him, there's some frustration as well as, you know, um, you know, just sort of. I think like anything, it's run its course, maybe. Um, again, uh, I'm not speaking Joe, I'm not speaking for Joe or anything. So, you know, we'll see. But, uh, I know right now he's, uh, it's contemplating a few things. So we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, again, tremendous back catalog. Dakota, Dino, and Strugwood, Matt Cartner, Bolton, Asham, on and on. Does a great job. Check it out. Coliseum Chronicles. Give it a Lazito. All right, guys. Well, like I said, I'm not going to talk for very long because Grant and I, uh, we yapped away uh, like little old ladies in a knitting circle. Uh, it was a, a great talk. Uh, I enjoyed listening to hearing the old SJHL stories and the old East Coast League. Um, and, of course, he was out in the Maritimes for a season playing senior hockey out there when it was booming, which, was, which really piqued my interest when I was doing the research. Um, I ended up talking to the Ryan, Terry Ryan, um, and a few, ca- few caps from out there when I appreciate your input. Thank you very much, uh, for the help. I know I'm going to butcher your name and pardon me. Shishlane Mercier, I believe. Um, again, I'm completely sorry if I'm butchering it, but he was a great help with the, uh, Maritime, 
uh, throwing out some of the names. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, it was just a real, and, uh, yeah. So to hear the history of the, of the Newfoundland, uh, senior league was, was really cool to kind of dig into it a little bit and something I'd like to definitely explore further. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun guys. Anyway, uh, I hope you guys really enjoy this. If you happen to be on social media, fourth line voice on Twitter, as well as on Facebook, give me a follow. I'm always putting up pictures and videos and all that type of things. <coughs> Again, we'll go back to YouTube, fourth line voice on YouTube. I've over, well, I don't have as many videos as I used to have because YouTube made me take a whole bunch down. But so far I have about, I have about, I think it's about 2,700 videos. All the leagues are represented. So whatever uh, league you're looking for, NHL, AHL, IHL, uh, WHL, SJHL, uh, everything's sorted. So just type it in, boom, it'll all come up. Check it out. Uh, now I'm on the search for, I gotta go find some Grand Ott and Bright fights. I think I got some, get some Johnstown. I might have some fights against Johnstown. We'll, we'll check it out. But, uh, anyway, subscribe to the channel. Uh, whatever platform you're listening to this show on, could you rate and review my show? It helps me out in the searches. And, uh, please download the episode. Do not stream. If you could, that helps me out. Not only do I get paid by the download, to be completely honest, but it also helps just with analytic numbers so we can just see who's listening and uh, for, and what platform and, and where you're listening and the, all those demographics and that type of thing. So it just helps me out if you download instead of uh, streaming uh, doesn't help. So, well, it helps you. You can still listen to it. I mean, I appreciate the fact that you're listening to it regardless. But if you could help old Darren out, download the episode, it would help me out immensely. But uh, I will stop asking things of you. All I'm asking you now is to sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Grant Ottenbright. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Once again, thank you, Grant, for coming on the show. Very much appreciate it. If you're new to the episode, if you're new to the show, and your Grant brought you here, um, welcome. Thank you. And uh, please, uh, as I said at the start of the show, episode two thirteen. So uh, please check. Feel free to check out the back catalog. John Morasti, Steve McIntyre. Joey Tedarenko, uh, Josh Mazer, uh, on and on. I've, I've talked to, talked to lots of interesting cats that I think, uh, you would enjoy hearing their stories. So please, uh, go back. And, uh, also to myself, I have solo episodes when I'm ranting away, I stare out my window and rant and rave about things, uh, with hockey, old hockey, new hockey. Well, it's usually ranting about new hockey and reminiscing about the old stuff, as well as I talk to fellow fight fans. So, it's uh it's old school fight talk here. So as I said, enforcer based podcasting, right? So uh please enjoy. Thank you for tuning in and uh I'll talk to everybody I'll talk to you guys all on Sunday. Thanks everybody. All right, here on the fourth line voice, I'm uh uh pr- proud to have on here the uh the the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League's all time penalty minute leader, and then he went on to play uh, three years at the Erie Panthers in the East Coast Hockey League. It's none other than Grant Ottenbright. Grant, how you doing tonight? Very good, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate hey, it. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, yeah, 1,339 minutes in three seasons. We were just saying before we got going, I said, I think that record's safe. I think you got that one. Yeah, I think, you know, like with the way hockey's gone, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's hard to see. Like a guy would probably have to play ten years now to beat it. I would think. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we're going to get into how you collected all those penalty minutes and uh, and some of the characters you collected them against. But uh, before we do that, um, 
like I said, we we like the I like the timeline, the guy's career, where you started, and all that stuff. So, where were you uh, born and raised, and where did you play your minor hockey? Well, I was born in Weyburn, but we uh, my dad had a garbage company in Weyburn, and he bought Yorkton as well. So uh, he tried running both companies for for a year or two, and then he decided he had to pick one one community or the other. So he actually uh, chose Yorkton over Weyburn, and and uh, we moved out here and like 70 so i was about four years old and started playing hockey here right away um yeah so i grew up playing all my minor hockey here in yorkton there you go and uh uh when you could while well, you joined the the terriers in uh 85 as uh 18 year old uh did you play uh triple a midget at all no you know what they didn't have triple a midget till like the year after i was done or two years after i was done okay um when I was in midget, it was still like uh, back then. It was midget A, midget B, and then midget house kind of thing. And I actually uh, tried out for midget my first year midget here in New York, and I didn't make a team, so I ended up on a just a group of traveling vagabonds. Really, we'd go to all the small towns, take turns playing goal. Uh, one guy would pull beer, he'd have a couple beers, sneak a couple beer. We drove to the games, kind of thing. So, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty pretty deflating. I you know I was. Thought I was had a good crack at the top midget team in town, and then I got cut from there, and I kind of worked my way down and out of the minor hockey system. Really, were you uh, like growing up and, and like you said, different times? Obviously, with the midget, and I know you said you played senior there for a bit. Um, were you always a physical guy? Did you enjoy the fighting? No, you know what? I wasn't really physical. I mean, I was I was physical off ice. Like I used to wrestle around and. Uh, in junior high school, I'd be fighting behind the hall like the other guys. You know, if you had a disagreement, you'd be out there trying to bloody the other guy's nose. But uh, in hockey, really, I wasn't a I wasn't a big guy at all. Like I was probably, uh, you know, I was I was probably average size. I wasn't very big, and I was actually a defenseman all the way up until I got to the Terriers, till I played junior. So I wasn't very physical until uh, probably probably when I was seventeen or sixteen, I guess seventeen. I sixteen. I went and played junior B in Hudson Bay, and I think they they kind of expected it from me. So I started the year there after I got cut from the Weyburn Red Wings. They sent me to Hudson Bay as a 16-year-old. I played half a year there, and I fought uh, a bunch of big farm boys up in the Jungle Bee League there. And, I, uh, yeah, by Christmas I came home. I was a bit deflated there. I wasn't playing a ton, and, you know, they were expecting a lot of fighting, and I just kind of, you know, I don't mind fighting if I'm playing, but I wasn't uh, I wasn't ready for that at 16 to leave home and, Although it's only about two hours away, it seemed like a million miles at the time. Well, in uh, in eighty four, eighty five, you make the Yorkton Terriers, and uh, you you certainly had uh, no problem playing physical. in In your first year in the SJHL, you pick up four hundred and twenty seven penalty minutes. Um, the funny part of that is you don't even lead the league four twenty seven in your second. <laughs> That's something, um, <laughs> but. Um, what what was it like that first year in, in the SJHL? And, and like I said, 427, you're busy. Um, what was that stepping in, and uh, and what was that like? Uh, well, honestly, like the year before that, like I had played that bit of junior B, and then I came back when I was 16 and played juvenile to finish off the year. As a 17-year-old, I played senior hockey out in Solcolts, and I was like a seventh defenseman out there. So as an 18-year-old coming into the SJ. Um, trying out for the Terriers. The only thing that ever, uh, you know, crossed my mind was trying to make a hockey team, and I didn't really think I had a chance, to be honest with you, playing senior hockey and barely being a decent senior hockey player the year before. But 
Jerry James had owned the Yorkton Terriers for a number of years, and uh, he sold the team. He got a coaching job in Estevan, so he sold the team and traded a bunch of his best players over to Estevan, and then he was uh, moved all the 20-year-olds out, um, some really good players, and there was really nothing left here. Like Honestly, my first year in the SGHL uh, with the Terriers there, um, being a defenseman my whole life, I made it as a really as the guy that was willing to fight because I really didn't have any options. There was uh, no way I was going to make the team as a defenseman for sure. And as as far as a forward, I, I wasn't much of a skater. Some of the guys still laughed about. Uh, I used to wear these size twelve Cooperoos. I don't know if you remember those skates. They're big leather boots that would weigh about twelve pounds each when they got wet. And uh, yeah, because because Jerry James kind of dismantled the team and when he sold to this Max Chambers guy, there was nothing here. So that's what they were looking for is somebody that would just play in a fourth line, you know, uh, show up every night. And that's kind of what I did. I, that's where my fighting really started was in, uh, was that first year. And I guess once I learned how to do it, it uh, it's not that I was ever the best guy at it, to be honest with you, but I was willing to, willing to go and do it just about every night. So I guess that's why, you know, that's what made me valuable to a, to a team that had eight or eight or nine wins our first year in the SJ. Well, yeah, and like knowing you were going to come in and you, and, and you were doing some fighting, did you ever did you ever take any boxing or anything, or was it just here we go, let's find out how this will go, <laughs> let's on the job training, or did you take any boxing? No, we we boxed. My dad put us in. The, it was run for the, by the friendship center back in the day, so my dad put all three boys in boxing. So he would drive us around to you know, Regina and uh, some smaller communities, Malville and some reserves would host uh, events. And here in Yorkton, we held a couple. So me and both my brothers boxed a little bit growing up. So yeah, I had a bit of, a, I bet, so I did have a bit of a background in it, but like I said, like it was mostly schoolyard fights and stuff like that is where, uh, you know, you get hit and it didn't hurt too bad. And you didn't, you didn't really have too much fear, but uh, uh, yeah. So I had some background, really a little boxing, a little, you know, uh, scrapping behind the hall after school kind of thing but that was about it really going in i i don't know if i had three or four fights really maybe four or five fights before uh before i made the terriers well that <laughs> and over the next three years that all changed but uh uh well this particular season your first year um just some of the names for that the, the listeners out there will know um well the first one i wanted to run by you uh actually both these guys were nestevan uh, one was, uh, of course, future NHLer Alan May. Uh, he actually had 409 minutes in Estevan that year, and he had 51 goals. He's a hell of a player in the SJ. Yeah, Al, Al May was a pretty unique uh, S- or junior hockey player. I'll tell you, like, there's no reason he should have been in this league. I, like, I, I think he was trying to go for a scholarship, and I don't know what happened there, but he ended up. Uh, I mean, he was definitely good enough to play any Division One school, like scoring over 50 goals and and beating the shit out of just about everybody he came across. He was one tough cat, cat you know. So, uh, yeah, I never did fight Al. I, there's other guys in that team I fought, you know, but uh, he wasn't one of them. But, man, he was a, he was an intimidating guy, not just because he could he could beat you up, but he could beat you on the scoreboard. Like, he was just a complete all-around guy. It's, uh, you know, never draft or anything, but no wonder he uh, climbed his way to the NHL and stuck around so long. He was a, he was a, hell, of a hell of a hockey player. Well, the other guy, one of the other names that, that kind of jumped out at me on Estevan that, I mean, your paths would cross throughout your pro years too, uh, was Mike Butters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, me and, me and Mike uh, crossed paths a couple of times, actually. Uh, 
Uh, actually, I got to be good buddies with him uh, when my son got uh, traded down to Seattle from the Saskatoon Blades. He uh, he was kind of the first, one of the first guys that contacted me on Facebook and said, "Hey, buddy, when you come down, we're going for lunch and a beer." So yeah, I knew Mike. We uh, we played against each other in the Terriers and then the East Coast, and uh, he bounced around up into the uh, I League, uh, International League, and American League too, I think. But uh, yeah, we fought it. We fought in junior for sure, and I'll never forget. Honestly, though. The one time I remember fighting them was uh, it was our 20-year-old year. Esteban was so strong up until then, and they weren't that strong that year. And a real good buddy of mine who ended up being my best man was a guy named Gary Simon. And uh, Gary fought him. He was a year older, and he fought uh, Butters the year before. And Simon had a bad shoulder, and Butters strung him out, and Simon's shoulder dislocated. And he, he was a tough farm white kind of guy, and he... There's no damn way he'd go down. So he stood there, and he took a pretty good licking from Mike Butters. And, uh, yeah, just because he wouldn't quit. He just stood there and received and couldn't do much with a bad shoulder. So in the next year, one of the first games we played, me and and Mike squared off because I kind of owed it for my buddy there. So I kind of tried to square the the slate with uh, Butters for my buddy. But, yeah, we played against each other in the East Coast as well. And uh, we might have fought once down there, but, I mean, there were so many guys down there. Yeah, uh, you know, Butters was a pretty good D-man down there too. So, you know, it, he was he was quite a quality guy down there and a good guy. Well, another name that uh, that came out, he was playing in Battleford this year, uh, and again, you your your paths intertwined the whole your whole career was Misiak, Darren Misiak. Oh yeah, Meech. Yeah, like it was. Well, the Ray got to know him as he moved to uh, he. He played. He was a captain, actually. He was not a bad player in junior, like a uh, good leader and tough guy. Um, but when his cap or his coach, Normie Johnson, came to Yorkton, is when I got to know Darren. He was a year older than me, and uh, he came to Yorkton to skate with us one summer before he was going to try pro hockey after his uh, junior career was over. So we got to know each other pretty good then. And uh, the way we really got to know each other was just skating in Yorkton. And then uh, the next year. We were both looking for a place to play. He didn't want to go back and work for his dad, and I really didn't want to work for my dad. We wanted to go do something different, chase the hockey life a little bit. So uh, actually, the two of us, another guy from that played with the Brandon Wheat Kings named uh, Steve Winky, and another tough kid from Esterhazy named Brian Kunkel, four of us drove down. Uh, what happened was Misak got a, an offer to go, or he had heard about Johnstown Chiefs in the East Coast League, and they were looking for some players. So... We made a couple calls, and they said, yeah, you guys are welcome to come and try out. So that was kind of the plan. Go play your tryout for the Johnstown Chiefs. And then just before we were ready to leave, uh, this Ron Hansis from uh, the Erie Panthers, they actually he ended up getting a hold of me and asking me to come. So then I, so I talked to me, Chuck, and I said, you know what? Like uh, we, we begged for a chance to go to Johnstown. Here's a team looking for guys. I think we've got a better chance here. So we, uh, we agreed to you know, make the trek down to Johnstown together. So that's what we did. We made a trip down there and we played together that year and then played against each other for a while. It was a, yeah, pretty, pretty good run. Actually, he was a, Darren was a tough guy, but he, he wasn't overly skilled, but he was overly willing. Like he, he would fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. He was, he was quite the cat. Yeah. Um, well, one day, well, and of course, obviously, fight fans will know this with this cat because he went on to play with the Prince Albert Raiders, and then of course the NHL with St. Louis and Quebec, and uh, was and he was playing with the Swift Current Indians, who had a SJ team at this time. Was Darren Kimball? Do you ever have any run-ins with Kimball? You know what? The only the only story I can tell you about Darren Kimball was 
uh, I believe he's two years younger than me. I think he was born in 68. So when I was an 18-year-old rookie, Kimball was a 16-year-old rookie playing with the Indians. And uh, I'll never forget it. That, uh, we had a kid that played for the Moose Jaw, sorry, the Winnipeg Warriors back in the WHL when, yep. uh, before Moose Jaw had the Warriors. His name was Curtis Fayant, and he was quite a skilled guy that played AAA midget in Regina. Um, big, tall, lanky guy with like a fro, big, wavy hair sticking out all over his helmet. But he was about 6'3", 185 pounds, and, and he was a skilled guy, but he was physical along the boards and stuff. And uh, this Fayant got into it. They were yapping him and this young guy, and it was Darren Kimball. And it was actually, we found out later, it was Darren Kimball's very first fight. And they dropped the gloves, and we thought, oh, yeah, this guy is going to give this kid a licking. And Darren Kimball lit this poor guy up so bad, and it was his very first fight. So, uh, yeah, it was a surprise to Curtis Fayant and uh, the whole York Interior bench at the time. Wow! Yeah, well, like you said right, Kimball went. That's pretty funny. Uh, you you witnessed this first, the first of many, yeah. Because Kimball went on to have a hell of a career for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he was a tough cat for sure. Well, so your first year, you're playing in the SJ, and you know, you're like I said, you're putting up the penalty minutes and everything else, and the leagues, uh, you know, just uh, you all jungle a for a lack of better term, but. Uh, what was your first? I gotta ask everybody because everybody's kind of got a story. But what was your first trip up to Flimflon like? You play the ball. Well, at that well, time they were the. I guess they were was it Creighton? Were they called Creighton at the time? Uh, yeah, no, they. I think they were called the Creighton Bombers, but they always did play out of Flimflon. Yeah, like they're only what three miles apart, a couple miles apart there. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm not sure about the first one up there, but I know like. There was more than one time we were uh, we were uh, escorted by police cars back to our hotel. Like they called like that is probably that barn and uh, the Johnstown War Memorial were probably two of the most uh, aggressive fans probably that I'd ever seen in my life. Honestly, uh, yeah, Flint Flon. I mean, they're hardworking people, and uh, back then there was more fans. Like now, you go to a junior game. And the SJHL here, and you might see four, five, six hundred fans. But I mean, back then they had over a thousand fans every game, and uh, and I mean the people worked hard and played hard. So on the weekends when we'd go up there, and you'd always play two in a row. So you know, the first night going to the rink was great. It was not too bad, but you know, a few fights would break out. And back then, there's Flintlon was one of the worst teams in the league, and so were we. We kind of battled for last place, to be honest with you. And yeah, once the once the fight started and the fans started getting crazier, it was hard getting out of there. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were, well, like you said, battling the fans and stuff. But of course, this is, you know, we're talking mid to late eighties and stuff. Did you, did you ever have the slap shot moment? Did you guys ever go, did you ever go into the crowd? No, I never did, but I did need, uh, I did need a couple of teammates to come in, uh, like swing sticks up because it was a short walk from the exit door off the ice to our door. Um, it might've been, I don't know, 15 feet, give or take from what I remember, but, uh, the fans are right there and I couldn't get, uh, there's no way I could get to my, uh, to my dress room. So we had to have, I had to get guys off our team with hockey sticks coming and poking at fans to back them up. And I'll never forget the guy I fought that night. That was a guy named, uh, well, I don't know if you remember Ken Baumgartner, of course. Yeah. Okay, well, he had a brother that was a goaltender. 
big young kid. And uh, what they did is they went on road trips, and a lot of times guys would get the flu. Like Flynn Flon guys wouldn't go on the road, so they honestly would end up on a road trip, start out with, you know, 15 or 16 skaters, and by the time they were playing their third, fourth, fifth game uh, in a week, which they did quite often, play a lot of games in a row, um, they would they would get in fights and they'd get pounded and they would have line brawls against guys and and they played shorthanded so often they started bringing up a couple of guys you know just just to stand up and fight for the for the young guys who were trying to play hockey and Baumgartner's little brother was a goaltender and they brought him along and dressed him as a tough guy and and I actually fought him up there in Flintlawn and I barely got off the ice I, uh, he was a big guy but not really good on his skates. So I, I'll never forget. I, I kind of got the jump on him, and I thought, well, this is going to be all right. And I hit him a couple, and he went down on one knee, and I thought, well, this is over. And the more I hit him, the more he just climbed up and started smiling at me. And, yeah, he was a big, strong guy. And he ended up, I think, probably getting the better of that one. But uh, but the fans went crazy because a backup goalie kind of gave it to the Yorkton, one of the Yorkton tough guys. And then trying to get off the ice wasn't very easy after that. <laughs> Well, um, well, we'll uh, we'll go through the different years here first. Then I'll, I'll ask you later. But um, well, so yeah, so like you said, the first year pr- pretty rough uh, in terms of uh, wins and losses. Second year not much better in eighty five, eighty six. Um, of course, this year uh, you know four hundred and five penalty minutes, good for third in the third in the league. Behind Mark Lambert and uh, uh, the late Chris Mantica, who unfortunately was one of the uh, one of the players that was in the Swift Current Broncos bus crash, and uh, and he died. Um, But he was he was a tough dude, man. Um, Did you ever have any run in? Did you have a run in with him that year, Mantica? No, I didn't. You know what? I uh, Kevin Janelle, our coach at the time, took uh, my second year junior. He uh, took a couple of us to the Brandon Wheat Kings camp. Uh, a guy named uh, Kevin Yellowag, a young guy out of Alberta, and myself. We he got us uh, tryouts with the Brandon Wheat Kings. So we went up to Brandon and uh, Chris Mantique. I'd never met him before, but he was at that camp, and we were both fighting guys there. We never fought each other, but we were fighting guys there, and we got to talking a bit, and uh, we got to be a little bit of buddies there in uh, Brandon. And then uh, Kevin Janelle was trying to get him to come to Yorkton, so I was trying to sweet talk him because he wasn't. He was a good player also, but he was uh, not huge, but probably like 5'11", 6 feet, like 195 pounds, but Jesus, he was tough. And uh, we tried to get him to come to Yorkton. I talked to him a number of times, and he almost came, and he ended up going to North Battleford. Then he ended up in Swift Current playing with the Indians. And when they uh, changed over from the Indians to the uh, Broncos, he ended up making the team, and, well, he was a pretty good, uh, for the short time, he was a pretty good uh, tough guy even in the WHL. Not 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 a giant by any stretch of the imagination, but just a gamer. He was a very tough kid. Um, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, one of the names I forgot to ask you about that I was just looking because you had mentioned that you were in Brandon Camp because he had, he played there for a bit was uh, uh, would it be Bob Heaney? Um, oh yeah. Well, he actually led the, when I your first year with four twenty. He was the league leader with four hundred ninety penalty minutes. Uh, did you have any run-ins with Bob? Uh, yes, I did, actually. It was uh, it was my first year. Bob was a pretty tough guy in the SJ. He was about the same age as me. And you mentioned a guy to me when you and me were talking earlier, a guy named Tim Brantner, if you remember. Yep. 
Tim Brandner was a tough kid, and he was the captain in Swift Current at the time. And he wasn't a giant, but Jesus, people people were intimidated by him. Like we we saw him throw an elbow, and one of our guys' helmets almost hit the rafters in the old Swift Current rink there. Like he he was a tough playing uh, defenseman. But uh, Evan Janelle was our coach, and uh, at the time, and we were playing in uh, Swift Current, and we got beat up pretty good there every time we went in there. They had a tough team and a skilled team, and uh, Tim Brandner was. Uh, was right by our bench trying to fight me and I was kind of all right I guess this is going to happen all of a sudden I got uh, checked for cross checked from behind and ended up being Bob Heaney and I kind of did the quick coin toss in my head and I took the lesser of two evils and Heaney uh, cross checked me from behind so I turned around and I ended up fighting Bob and we had a pretty good battle there I had uh, my coach was right the foot was right on the bench like right beside us Kevin Janelle and he was he was trying to commentate on the fight while it was going on, so that was pretty funny. But, yeah, we had a pretty good bout there in Swift Current. But uh, that's the only time I fought Bob Heaney. He went on to the make the Wheat Kings the next year. Yeah, well, and then, uh, yeah, that kept, well, one of the guys, I think he, I don't know if he ended up playing with him. I think he did, actually, uh, was Odeline, Lee Odeline. Oh, yeah, Lee, yeah, for sure. He played in the Yorkton Terriers with us. Yeah. Man, I played against him. He was down in the East Coast League as well. He uh, played in Johnstown down there for a while. Yeah, he was a pretty good defenseman. Yeah, at this time in, uh, in 80, 85, 86, he's in Nipawin along with Bob Woods. Did you guys ever cross paths? Oh, you know what? I knew that old line boys pretty good. Um, well, I guess later on I got to know them pretty good. But, no, Lee wasn't a, a real tough guy at that time, like, Lee was the, probably the slightest of the three old line boys. Um, he was a good, solid defenseman. It was later on, as he got older and filled out a bit, he started to fight a little more. But he was he was never as tough as uh, as Lyle. And uh, as far as, uh, you know, Selmer was a little bigger probably, but uh, Selmer was a more skilled guy. So, yeah, I knew Lee really well. And when he was in Nipwood, he was never really one of the heavyweights in the league at the time. Well, oh, I was going to ask when in this uh, at this point when in the SJ, if you can remember, it was one fight, right? Fighting a game. Yeah, back then it was. Yeah, yeah. Fighting, you're gone. Yeah, uh, which which was which was very good at times, but uh, but bad at other times, you know. Well, yeah. Did you ever have like the uh, yeah the uh, the the first period fight and toss? Yeah, make the parents real happy about that one. When they make the trip, you yeah. get tossed out three shifts in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that 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 was going to happen. But yeah, I honestly, I usually, uh, I didn't usually fight early in a game. I I like to try and play a few minutes before, you know, I'd like to try and get six or seven shifts in. And my first couple of years, that would take a couple periods to do. So I was usually uh, saving my fights for later in the game if I could. But I mean, at the time, you had to fight when you had to fight. But. Uh, I didn't go looking for it early in games. That's for sure. Was, was there anybody like, uh, like I said, with the, especially back in the mid eighties, it's it's so tough to, um, you know, you, know, you go. I'm going through the rosters and stats and checking here, there, and everywhere. And it was always, you know, you always see the names. You're trying to, you know, uh, find names and find stats can be can be difficult at the uh, at the best of times. You know, mid eighties, junior A stuff. But uh, was there anybody that you had like in, when you look back on the SJ? Did you had like a real rival? Was there a guy that you had like a big rivalry with that like every time you played you got into it with him? Well, there was a couple guys in Waver and I like there was tough guys on every team, but yeah. uh, there was guys in Waver that I really didn't like that I 
like I got into it in the in the under under the stands at one time with a guy from there. Uh, there was there's a couple guys in Weyburn and for some reason I went to Weyburn camps before I made the Terriers. So being from Weyburn, my dad had a connection there with uh, with the coach and GM at the time. So I would get invited to the Weyburn Red Wings camps and fight guys there. That uh, and when I ended up playing against them, I really still didn't have much love for them. Guys like uh, Terry Lloyd, uh, Stu Smith are a couple of names that I, I remember from Weyburn that I really didn't like. And yeah, I, I bounced bounced and bumped into them quite a bit. Well, well, yeah. Well, one of the guys that was actually on Weyburn that I wanted to ask you about was, uh, well, it's more, it was more in your final year, but uh, Cam Brown. Yeah, I hope Cam played there. And I, you know what? Cam Brown actually, I think, ended up in Erie after I was down there and became a player coach and was a good player, I think, down there. But um, I don't even remember Cam Brown, to be honest with you. I was a 20-year-old, and I think yeah. he might have been a few years younger than me. So I really didn't have any run-ins with Cam Brown. I, I think he played in Erie, did he not? Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know they loved him down there. He uh, he ended up being a captain down there a couple of years after me. So I didn't know him very well I, at all, really. So I don't uh, really recall playing against him. Yeah, he would have been a rookie that year in your last year. But yeah, but yeah, like you were saying, Stu Smith, Rob Nixon. Um, yeah, just yeah, like I said, just uh, kind of yeah. just going through stats here. But uh, um, well. This year, 85-86, one, he's not a fighter or anything. Well, although he, I think he might have been a little gritty, but um, playing for Esteban, 81. How good was Adrian Sakuniak? 81 goals. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is uh, Adrian's from here. Like, he's yeah. from just outside of York. And so uh, that midget team that I got cut from, he was uh, one of the better better guys on that team. And he was also in, uh, he was also in uh, Hudson Bay when I was there for a bit. Before he ended up in Saskatoon and uh, and Yorkton and then on to Estevan, but yeah, he was, you know, in minor hockey, he was never that outstanding. But uh, when he got to play with the Terriers, he really took off. And then when he went to Estevan, it just went to a whole other level. The guy could score goals; it was unreal. Yeah, uncanny ability to to find the net. Well, in your in your final year at this point, have um, uh, like. Going into your last year, like you said, you're a 20 year old. Are you still like, like, oh, I'm I'm playing for the I'm the hometown guy playing for the local team, and you know, let's you know get into some fights, go drink some beers, or are you actually are you looking further on? Like, okay, if I have a big year here, I could go play pro or like was pro even in your mind? You know, it really it really wasn't going into my 20 year old year to be honest with you. Um, my last year as a 20-year-old, I came into camp and we had a brand new coach that uh, a lot of people know, Norm Johnson. Um, he coached Darren Misiak the year before that in uh, in uh, North Battleford. And Darren Misiak was a, a lot like me. And Norm Johnson made him the captain uh, captain up there. Uh, like I said, Norm Johnson, really, he really liked his... Uh, not many guys that played for Norm really loved him, but I did. Norm uh, was the kind of coach where if you showed up and, and did your job, that's all he asked, and he he appreciated that, and he'd give you, you know, opportunities because of that. And coming into my, he knew the type of player I was. I played against him for a couple of years. When he came in here, you know, he uh, put me on a line early in the year with uh, our top scorer Ed Zawatsky, and then our captain, who was an excellent two-way player, but a little undersized, a physical guy, but a little undersized, named Mark Marionchuk. 
So Norm Johnson put me in a line with those two guys and basically told me, you know, this is your line. You look after these guys. You know, you do your job. Keep them out of trouble. And I never got, I don't think I got three seconds of power play time with them that year, but uh, every regular shift I was out there looking after them and kind of policing things. Um, so once I learned that I could, I, you know, there was a role for a guy like that, that's what kind of made me think, Jesus, you know, maybe I could play some hockey. Um, and like, I was that guy that was kind of like, uh, I'd follow Ed Zawatsky around. He was so skilled. He was by far our best player. Uh, I'd follow him around and watch how he did his crossovers and watch him do the toe drags and watch him, you know, I, I tried to be a 200 pound Ed Zawatsky uh, in practice anyway. And, uh, I think that's kind of where my, my skills started to come a little bit, but I, the little bit of skill I did have just from watching guys like Ed in, in practice and uh, trying to emulate what he was doing. Well, and like you said, you're, uh, you, you know, it's, it's your final year and, uh, well, you were busy 507 minutes, um, which did lead the league this time. Um, it kind of cracked me up though. Uh, a guy on your team, uh, Troy McDonald. Had four ninety seven. Yeah, he did. We got. A, I have a picture in my uh, den here of the two of us sitting in the penalty box. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, we had over a thousand penalty minutes between us. He still uh, swears that uh, he had five hundred seven and I had four ninety nine. But um, yeah, and uh, I went on to play with Troy. I just played the one year with Troy. I went on to play senior hockey with him in, in his hometown of Langenberg for five years and won five championships with him. Um, sadly, uh, one of his older brothers that was a hell of a tough guy and, uh, played in Estevan, uh, Daryl passed away just, uh, Wednesday here. It's kind of sad. Uh, he was a buddy of mine I played with. He was a great team guy and a leader and yeah, he played a, played some tough hockey down in Estevan and senior hockey player, kind of a legend around here and just passed away Wednesday, which is kind of sad, but, but yeah, no, Troy was a really tough kid. There's no doubt about it. He was willing, willing a lot like I was to show up every night. Yeah, well, you guys had, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, you look at your roster here. I mean, you, you had a lot of penalty, you know, Kyle McIntyre and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dean Carlson. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys putting up penalty minutes, but that, I kind of laughed with 497, and then you had to get 507. Thinking, oh, there had to be a 10, telling the ref to give you a 10 in the last game of the year or something to jump ahead. But, uh, well, the last. Probably last month or so, me and T. Roy were uh, battling pretty hard to see see if we could get that record for sure. Yeah. Um. Well, like you said, you, you had I've I've had a few guys on that had Norm Johnson as a coach, and like you said, the uh, the uh, reviews are mixed. Um, Storm and Norm, he definitely sounds a little little different. Um, but like he got uh, replaced. You were saying halfway through the year with uh, Dennis Polanich, correct? Yeah, yeah. Dennis came in. Uh, yeah, after Christmas when uh, Norm got let go by by the Terriers. Yeah, Dennis came in from. Uh, I think he was actually playing in the American Hockey League, winding down his career. He got the opportunity here, and he took the job. And yeah, he came in here my last year for the last couple months of the season. Did you get along with him? Absolutely. I still I still keep in touch with Polo. Yep, great guy, unreal. Um, actually, uh, it was funny because we had some guys around here. We play uh we'd get invited to friendship center would invite us to some uh native tournaments back in the day yeah and uh we took back then polo was fresh off his pro career and he's a little five foot seven uh five foot seven spark plug and uh we went to fort 
Fort Quipel to play in a tournament one time, and we took Dennis with us. And one of the bigger tough guys that, from these tournaments that uh, kind of threw his weight around, uh, it was Penny Norton. He was always looking for me and a couple other guys, and uh, he was after Dennis um, in one of our games down there. And, and we said, Dennis, don't worry about it, don't worry. And he said, what do you think I can't fucking look after myself? He said. <laughs> so we had a little chuckle out. Uh, he I can't remember if he threw him around or not, but, uh, yeah, he stood up to Penny Norton himself. He said, you guys don't worry about me. I got this. He said, so yeah, he was a, he was a pretty good guy. Now, when, when you're kind of, like you said, he was pretty well fresh right out of the minors at that point, And that was his first coaching gig was with you guys. Um, did he ever kind of, uh, did he like pull you aside and kind of tell you like you could go do this professionally? Like, was he putting it in your ear too, that you could go on and do something with this? Actually, not until after the after the summer. After the summer, uh, I sat like after our season was over. I sat down and had a chat with him, and I told him, you know, I was thinking about going to a camp somewhere, and I, I asked his opinions. And uh, I told him there was a camp uh, out at Bellingham, Washington. It was going to be like the Atlantic Coast League kind of thing. They're going to have about five or six teams, and they were having a uh, a camp out there. They're going to draft uh, a bunch of teams and start a league out there. And we went out there. Me and our goaltender from here, Evan Westerland, went out there. Uh, Dennis really, really thought that was a good idea. He said, yeah, you're only 20 years old. You know, you should keep playing as long as you can. Um, I don't know that he ever believed I would uh, make a team or anything, but he sure supported any any ideas I had of going and trying to, trying to make a run at it anyway. Um, well, before we get out of the SJ, I got to, obviously there's a few names I got to ask you about before we wrap up your SJ career, but, um, one of them, and he was playing in Weber and like you said, he, he ended up, uh, in Yorkton actually the year after you were gone. And, uh, he's sort of, uh, it's sort of a dubious, he went on to have a hell of a pro career, uh, especially overseas, uh, was Barry Nykar. Did you ever any run-ins with oh. him when he was in Weyburn? No, I didn't. Um, he was a young guy, like he was quite a bit younger, um, Barry, I knew him. Like, I knew him from the area. He's from Rama, just like an hour north of here, 45 minutes north. Um, Barry played in Weyburn, and I don't really, like, he wasn't outstanding or tough at the time. He was a big, lanky kid. Uh, I don't remember a lot about him, but uh, when he played for the Terriers, he kind of turned things around and became a big part of their team. He was a bit of a scorer, plus a big physical guy. Uh, Barry hung around the East Coast League for a couple of years, like, he came down for real short stints trying to make the East Coast League when he was done with the Terriers and the SJHL. And then he kind of disappeared. And then I had heard he'd gone to, uh, he got his chopper's license, like a helicopter license. He was flying helicopters. And he did a lot like I did. The same way I got my tryout with the Winnipeg Jets, Barry went to a, a tryout in Calgary. And what it was, was they used to have these uh, pro tryouts. So you could go and... Uh, you pay your three four hundred dollars, and it would be guys from every level of hockey trying to get a trying to get a tryout somewhere. And there would be scouts from every league, you know, IHL, AHL, some NHL scouts, and they would come and watch. It was basically if you were a fighter, you fought; if you were a scorer, you score. Um, I went to a Joe Lyons camp out on the East Coast near Boston, um, and uh, Barry went to one here in Calgary. And it was like a year later that uh, it wasn't that year, but it was a year later when he got a phone call. Some teams looking for a big physical guy, and I remember he told me it was a year later he got a phone call that uh, somebody had liked him, saw him there, and they were looking for that type of player at the time. And I think that's kind of what uh, kickstarted his whole pro career. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, end up having getting some NHL time out of it. You know, it's pretty wild how uh, how the uh, how the, tr- the the road traveled sometimes for some guys. Um, well, another name. Yeah, what? He, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say he's a he's a big cat. After he started playing pro hockey, I ran into him outside a bar. Me and my wife in uh, Edmonton, and I knew him pretty well. But I hadn't seen him in quite a while since he had turned pro. And when I saw him there, he shook my hand. They almost swallowed my arm, just about disappeared. He was a big, big boy. Hey, like, uh, and a nice, he's a nice kid too. But I never did fight him, thank, thank Christ, because I don't know if I had a, he was like 6'4. He's a big, 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 big boy. Uh, well, another name that popped up when he was playing in Nippon, he went on and played in the minors a little while, was Derek Crawford. Bambi. Yeah, they called him Bambi back in the day. He was uh, like he was. He unfortunately he just passed away here not yeah. too not too long ago. Uh, I do remember Bambi. I remember him pretty well because he was just like a sixteen or seventeen year old rookie. I think I was probably twenty when he came into the league. I'm not sure how much older I am than him, but it's a few years I think three, maybe two, three. But uh, I'll never forget he came into the SJHL and he he was just this tall string bean of a kid. And he was yapping at me in warm-ups. We were skating around and around. He was yapping at me, yapping at me. So I said, kid, you know, you are going to get a licking if you don't shut your like, back up here. You're going to get a licking. And he kept chirping at me. He wanted a piece of me, wanted a piece of me. So I said, okay. At the start of the game, we ended up getting 10-minute misconduct. So we started in the penalty box. And uh, I don't know if uh, you ever saw me play, but I, at times I could be a bit of a smartass. So... I sat in the penalty box for 10 minutes while we, we uh, served the first 10 minutes of the game in the penalty box, and I was shadow boxing in the penalty box, and I was saying, kid, when we get out of here, you're going to get such a licking, and I kept shadow boxing in there and talking to him, talking to him, and talking to him, and we got out of there, we went to center, straight to center ice, dropped the mitts, started circling around. He hit me with one so hard right in the forehead, I looked like a unicorn, and I thought, oh my God. I'm going down, and I did everything I could to stay on my feet and uh, stay in the fight. And I think I ended up getting the better of him eventually, but uh, there's still guys at the coffee shop, honest to God, that remember me getting pounded in the head, one good one by by Derek Crawford, and almost put me to my, my knees with one punch. Yeah. I never did run into him in the East Coast League. He came in there. He might have been there my last year, but I never did play against him in the East Coast League. Was there anybody during your time in the SJ that that really hung one on you? You took a really bad well, beating. Yeah, a lot of guys hung them on me. I uh, I fought a lot. I I my my claim is I fought a lot. I didn't win a lot, but I showed up. I always showed up. But uh, yeah, to go into guys that uh, gave me beatings would probably be too long a list for for your podcast. To be honest with you. The the one guy I'll never forget, though, is probably a guy, I don't know if you heard much about him, he really wasn't much of a fighter, he didn't fight often, and there's a good reason for that. Uh, His name was John Davis from uh, Estevan, I don't know if you knew him at all. No. Well, he's a guy that had a full beard and peewee, everybody says, the guys that played against him. He was only probably 6'2", maybe 6'3", but he had a beard that went right up to the bags of his eyes. And he was a big man compared to everybody else in the league, honestly. Like, he had more respect in that league than uh, probably anyone. He was so tough, so big and so physical, like just a big man. And, uh, yeah, we were uh, we were in Estevan one time, and I, I, you know, I was always in warm-up looking to start shit. And uh, I did something. I don't know what I did. I, I think the coach had me shooting pucks at uh, their captain, uh, Serge Poulin, to be honest with you. 
I think they had me shooting pucks at the captain's ankles and, you know, trying to stir shit up. And all of a sudden somebody came over and took a good wrister and hit our, uh, our top scorer, Ed Zawatsky. So I got up and I skated over the red line and, uh, their whole team was kind of looking at me and laughing like, Oh yeah, what are you going to do? Like, who do you, who do you want? So anyway, I ended up, uh, John Davis ended up, sh- he was the guy that shot the puck and got a 10 minute misconduct. And when he came out of there, uh, he lined up and my coach sent me out. So obviously I knew why I was going out. But uh, back then, Kevin Janelle had the slogan for the Terriers. He had t-shirts made up and that was a uh, Terrier tough is what the slogans were. And everybody, everybody on other teams used to kind of cheek us and make fun of us about that. So anyway, after uh, Davis got out of the penalty box, I skated around behind him. And I skated up to him, and he says, oh, here comes the terrier, tough guy. So I went and I cross-checked him right towards the face and the throat and dropped my gloves, and I think he kind of shook it off. He grabbed me by the by the ear strap. I think he hit me once, and my helmet exploded, and he hit me again, and I was down on the ice. So he's 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 not the kind of guy I would have, you know, wanted to fight every night, that's for sure, John Davis. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, another name I want again. Your your paths cross many times, um, but this year he was in Humboldt in your final year, and I mean he was he put up video game numbers that year. It was like sixty one games. He had eighty three goals, one hundred eighty seven points, three hundred minutes of penalties. Was Bill McDougal? Oh yeah, Bill. He was uh, he was one of the most skilled players I've ever seen personally. Uh, if you ever look back at his stats in the American Hockey League, sixteen games I think one year. Probably a stat that'll never be broken. Playing with the Cape Breton Oilers, I think he had like twenty six goals, twenty six assists in uh, sixteen games or something like that. Fifty two points. It was just unreal. Uh, yeah, I uh, I played against Bill here with the Terriers when he tore it up, and he was like a one man wrecking machine. And he's a tough team around him, but Bill isn't the kind of guy that needed tough guys to look after him. Uh, like he was the first guy to spear you. Like he didn't think twice about spearing you in the throat or the nuts or or two-handing you. He, uh, if I don't remember, but I'm sure he had 250 or 300 penalty minutes every year and, and not one fight probably, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, a very skilled guy, a big mouth. Um, I actually went out to the, new, when I went out to Newfoundland to play, he came out there uh, yep. partway into the year. They were they were claiming there was a, we had a big line brawl and a couple of fights and uh, the player coach of uh, the Capitol said, there's going to be a storm in St. John's and his... Uh, in his big interview on TV after, and we thought, oh, my God, they're bringing more tough guys in because they were pretty tough already. But they brought in Bill McDougall, who I'd played against, and uh, he ended up coming down and playing with me in Erie a couple of years later. He was my line mate. Yeah, like, well, yeah, as you were saying, like, yeah, they won the call in the American League. You won the Calder Cup that year. Uh, yeah, fi- yeah, 16 games, 52 points. Unbelievable with Cape Breton. Um yeah. yeah, I was going to ask you, like, you just go going through his stats. Like, he played the one year in Erie with you, 57 games, he has 80 goals. Then he's in the American League, scores, gets 100 points. Um, you know, I mean, he did play in the NHL with the Oilers in Tampa Bay, you know, 28 games, 10 points. 28 mm-hmm. games, he has 10 points in the NHL. And then that's it. It was like, like, I mean, you know, to bury him or anything, but do you know why? Like, how does he not get a longer shot in the NHL? Is he just, I don't know, like, what happened? Uh, is he one of those guys? Like, what, I, it was just, it's just kind of weird. Like, the numbers he puts up are just sick, and then it's like, like you said, even in the NHL, he's almost like a point a game, but he just doesn't, he just can't stick, or, I don't know, it was kind of no, weird. No, you know, 
he he I don't think he ever changed his game like he was always a how would I say it a retaliatory player like you could get him off his game a bit like he was he wasn't a tough guy but he played dirty like he played a little bit like I said he used his stick a bit and yapped a lot and I don't know if maybe that had something to do with it but uh yeah like the reason you know the reason he scored 80 goals in a year he never should have if you look I haven't looked for quite some time but if you look back at his stats that year he played games in the American Hockey League that year that you just shake your head like why was he in the East Coast League um our owner GM uh, at the time coach um played with Ken Holland in the uh, in the WHA I believe or something he was buddies with Ken Holland and they kind of I think they had a kind of a deal where we got to keep him but he would go up to play in the American League when we weren't playing type of thing and he'd go up and he'd score a point and a half a game in the American Hockey League like he he was one of the better hockey players in the American Hockey League but he was stuck down in the East Coast League because of a well whatever deal they had made there where we got to keep him until the season's end which was unfair to him but yeah it was too bad because he he was he was quite a skilled guy yeah no I was just looking at the stats and it's just like yeah unbelievable but um well, that uh, you know, so so wraps up the, your uh, your uh, SJHL career. Um, well, like you said, um, yeah, you you briefly mentioned there before uh, with the um, uh, free agent camps. Um, is this when you went after your final season there in Yorkton? Is this when you went to uh, down to it was a Cape Cod where you went for that free uh, agent camp? No, actually, after after the Terriers, I went to. Uh... Uh, Bellingham, Washington. Okay. And uh, the league, the league, uh, they drafted teams, but then the league never did get up and running. So then everybody was kind of, and that's where I met a lot of the guys from the East Coast Hockey League, guys like, uh, oh, uh, Darren Servatius and uh, Brock Kelly and Rick Boyd and uh, Misiak and like a whole group of those guys were down there doing the same thing I was, trying to find a place to play hockey. Yeah. And uh, once that league folded, guys kind of dispersed. A lot of guys went and to that ACHL, which was like the precursor to the ECHL. Um, and some guys went out to Newfoundland and guys quit hockey and came back the year after. But that's kind of, that's kind of how I got to Newfoundland is uh, once that league uh, pulled the pin, we were all kind of on our phones trying to find out uh, where, where a place a guy could find to go play hockey in a, okay. short, in a short period of time. Yeah. All right, we're back here. Um, so yeah, like you said, you go down to uh, Big or uh, Bellingham, you're trying out, and it doesn't work out. And uh, no, that was after your your SJ season there. Um, well, you end up in the Maritimes. Now, um, that, that's a long way from Yorkton. <laughs> How did you end up with the Maritimes? Well, like you said, there after the uh, this this new league that they had drafted teams for pulled the pin and. Uh, we were all, all the guys were sitting around drinking beer, looking for a place to go play hockey. So a lot of dumb ideas came up. So some guys ended up going to that Atlantic coast league. Uh, some guys were going home to play senior. And I knew a guy that played my first year of junior came out from Newfoundland to play in York. And his name was Todd Savory. He was a, a little five foot nine ruffian from uh, Port of Bass, Newfoundland. So, uh, I had been out to Newfoundland after he lived here that summer. I went out for a couple of weeks and stayed in the uh, stayed in Port of Bass with him and his family and had a great time, met lots of people. So I thought, well, there's a six team league out in Newfoundland. I phoned there. I knew it was pretty big hockey. They talked pretty big about it. I uh, didn't have many options. So I ended up getting a tryout in Port of Bass and I uh, headed out to Newfoundland 
uh, I got there and played played for about three weeks or so, and they had ten imports. And at the time in Newfoundland, depending on the population, uh, that kind of depended on how many imports you had. The bigger the town, the, the less imports. So Port of Bass was allowed, I think, eight or nine. And they liked me enough, they wanted to keep me, but they said what we're doing here, and they told all of us, um, we're keeping one extra import, we're going to rotate around, and then come Christmas time, we're going to have to cut one guy, we're going to have to get rid of one guy. And I thought, well, I'm not sticking around and finding out I got nowhere to play at Christmas. And I thought I was good enough, I thought I should have been on the team, but I, I ended up making a call to my buddy Todd, who's from Port of Bass, but he was going to school in St. John's, and he was playing for a team out by St. John's, a suburb called Mount Pearl, so... I called him up, and uh, the coach there, former pro Terry Ryan, uh, was happy to have me, so he invited me out and uh, moved on to St. St. John's and uh, lived with the Ryan family for a while. Uh, yeah, played in Mount Pearl. There you go, Mount Pearl, getting coached by senior. Uh, of course, Terry Ryan and Terry Ryan Sr. have been, uh, these last couple of years, they've been, uh, you know, made made famous on the Spit and Chiglis podcast, and... Uh, you know, and of course, uh, you know, both of them played pro. Of course, Terry Sr. played in the IHL. And, uh, you know, Terry Ryan went, you know, drafted by Montreal in the first round. Everybody knows those stories. I don't have to, everybody listening knows those. But uh, before uh, I get to that, uh, when you said you were in Port of Bass, one of the, one of your teammates was uh, one of the famous Robert's brothers, Mario. Uh, yep. What was he like to, uh, well, first of all, okay, after you went to Mount Pearl, did you ever, did you ever fight any of the Robert's brothers? And two, how was Mario to hang out with? You know, I never, I never met Serge or played against him that I remember. If he came, he might have played one game against us, but I really have no recollection, uh, recollection of uh, of Serge at the time. But when I went out there, Mario and I thought me and Mario were pretty even and fighting for a spot, to be honest with you. And uh, uh, they had a guy that came from the uh, Vancouver Canucks camp, a defenseman they called Rooster. I don't remember his name, but he was kind of the player coach. And uh, Mario, I got to be good buddies with Mario and played with him for, like like I said, for a month, give or take. And uh, I really liked him. He was a tough guy like me. He might have been a little more skilled. I don't know if he, if he was, but we were pretty similar players. I was a little bigger. He might have been a little more agile. Uh, both of us were willing to fight, loved to fight, whatever. And uh, when I went out to uh, – when I left Port of Bass and went to Mount Pearl – we were kind of uh, weak, one of the weakest teams in the league. Like we were fighting for a playoff spot, and uh, and when we played Porta Bass, the guys that I didn't like, there was a couple of big guys there that ended up uh, staying as imports. Uh, but I fought every time we played, and uh, me and Mario never did fight. But uh, we were pretty similar players. He might have been a little more skilled than me, but uh, yeah, no, he was a great guy though. From what I knew of him in St. John's, I really liked him. I never knew him. Knew him after, or sorry, in Port of Bath. I never knew knew much about him after I uh, finished in St. John's. So, um, uh, well, when you get to Mount Pearl, um, what, what was uh, what, what was Terry Terry Ryan Senior like to play for? Oh, he was. You know, I think he got let go towards the end of the year for some reason. I think maybe they thought we had a better team than we did and we should have been doing better. I don't really know offhand why, but uh, uh, Terry was a good guy. Like, I, I actually have been in his uh, legendary uh, basement with I don't know how many thousand albums he had down there. And uh, like when he got me out to, to St. John's or Mount Pearl there, I've been in that basement and it's uh, he's, he's quite the... Uh, 
quite the character, you know, like he played pro hockey. I think he was drafted in the NHL and a WHA, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, yep. but yeah, he, he, he was a good guy, a really good guy. I don't know, as far as coaching, he coached a long time, and uh, I liked him. Like, I mean, the one thing he did uh, did let me do or, or warn me about or talk to me about is I wasn't just there to fight. Like, and, and that was a tough league, a really tough league. But the thing he let me know was, listen, before you do anything, like your job here, we're paying you. Your job here is to score goals. Of course you have to fight. Of course you have to hold teams accountable. But uh, first and foremost, you're an import, and we need we need offense out of our imports. And so coming out of uh, junior hockey, skating around behind Ed Zawatsky there, it was, uh, it was, I ended up on a line with a guy named Tony Kumo, Kumu that played uh, in the OHL. He's probably eight or ten years older than me, five foot seven. Uh, just a hell of a playmaker, uh, but uh, that's who I ended up playing with. So I kind of looked after him the same uh, as I did with Zawatsky back in junior, and and it got me a lot of ice. Got me on. I played on the power play. Uh, yeah, so it was a great opportunity to develop skills out there. I just wasn't fighting. I fought almost, you know, almost every night. There was something come up, but uh, but I got to play hockey. And Terry was really good to me about that. You know, he he gave me opportunities that uh, that helped my game develop, not just my toughness which I really appreciate it for sure. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and like I said, you, uh, you, you billeted with the Ryans when you were out there. And, uh, of course, Terry Ryan, uh, junior, uh, was like 10 years old at the time. And, uh, I had sent Terry a text message and I said, Hey, I'm having Grant Ottenbright on my show. Uh, do you have any, uh, do you have any memories of him? And, uh, (laughs) Terry sent me a voice message. And, uh, oh, really? yeah, here it is. I'll play it for you here for everybody. So this is Terry Ryan's message here about when I told him I'm having you on the show. Okay. So many stories with Grant Ottenberg, buddy. Oh, fuck, man. He came in. He fought all the comers. He came into the Mount Pearl Blades. No one knew who he was. And he fought Bill Riley, fucking all the, and there was meatheads in this league. It was, it was tough, man. He went to the coast from here, but it was tough. Ask him. Uh, fuck, I can't remember the guy in Stephenville. Oh, God. Uh, I'll come up with it tomorrow. But there, there was two tough guys on every team, legit. And he came in and he lived with us. And I remember, he'd order like 40 nuggets at a time. You ask him about that, man. He would eat like 40 fucking chicken nuggets in the living room. I'd be like, holy fuck. And we'd sit down and play like Chinese checkers. Yeah, I, I, I was all of 10 years old. And he brought in, uh, he was a fucking maniac. Long fucking curly hair on him, and he'd square down with anybody. And a lot of people don't realize, man. Bill Riley came in here because they paid him well. He was an NHL player, a fucking hired goon in the NHL or in the IHL. My dad played against him, and dad used to fucking hate it. He goes, Riley haunted me in pro, and he haunts me here. And I don't know anybody that could beat him. And Bill Riley or fucking Grant Ottenbrady got called in and fucking took care of him first game in Mount Pearl in the Smallwood Arena. I'll never ever forget it. The motherfucker was tough. There you go. The the the, the message from Terry Ryan. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, well he was a ten year old kid, maybe you know. Uh, yeah, but no, that's uh, uh, the one thing I texted you. Texted me a bunch of names earlier, you know. The guys that we probably would get to talk to about. And uh, the one guy I said, I told you, the only guy that I badmouthed and I did not like was uh, fucking Bill O'Reilly. He was quite a bit older, and I know he played in the NHL, and he had all all the credentials and all the background. But uh, he, uh, we, we ended up getting in a fight. Uh, he was running around, and we ended up dropping the gloves. He was the captain and the player coach. 
And we ended up dropping the gloves, and I got the better of him. And when I had him down on the ice, he started clawing at my neck. And he gave me finger like fingernail marks from my uh, just below my chin down my chest almost to my nipple. And I uh, I wish I had the video. I probably do if I ever looked at somewhere around here. But I had a video, and he was saying that oh, there's going to be a storm in St. John's. Like it was gonna, I was going to be in trouble for that, and nothing ever happened. I, they brought in Bill McDougall, not another tough guy. So, yeah, no, I wasn't a big fan of Bill Riley. After that, I'd chase him around, and he really didn't want. Uh, he really didn't want anymore. He was he was quite a bit older. He's probably 15 years older than me at the time too. But uh, yeah, I wasn't a, a big fan of Bill Riley's. Did you really eat chicken uh, 40 chicken McNuggets and play Chinese checkers? <laughs> but you know what? I uh, I had a thing when I played. In the, I went to the East Coast League at about two hundred and five pounds, two hundred and twenty pounds, like two hundred five to two hundred fifteen pounds. And when I left to come home at Christmas, I was two hundred and fifty five pounds. I wasn't play, like we played hockey every weekend. All we did was uh, the import skated every day, and the guys that could make it. There was a lot of unemployment, so some guys were unemployed. Some guys would come to one practice a week. Some guys would be there every day, and we would. Uh, yeah, we'd get up, have breakfast, we'd go to the rink and shoot around, play a little scrimmage for an hour, and then we'd hit the beers and the restaurants and late nights on George Street. And, yeah, I, uh, I put on probably 30 to 40 pounds by Christmas there, honestly. Like, anything that wasn't nailed down, I was eating pretty much. <laughs> uh, well, some of the names that were thrown out, um, there was a guy in Cornerbrook, I was told, was like the baddest dude in the league, Dan Cormier. You know what, Dan Cormier, I fought him a couple of times, yeah. I had some good tilts with Dan Cormier. Uh, he played pro hockey. Uh, he's, he wasn't the biggest guy. Like, I think he might have been 6'2", maybe 200 pounds. But uh, I think his reputation kind of preceded him. Like, he he had a bigger rep than I think really, really for what he, you know what I mean? He wasn't the toughest guy in the league, but everybody seemed to fear him. I didn't really have too many fears of, of uh, Dan Cormier. There was a... Uh, I'll tell you one guy on Quarterbrook that I was scared shitless of, and I'll be honest with you, and it was a goaltender named Dave Matt. I don't know where he is or whatever happened to that guy, but uh, we used to fly everywhere we went. From uh, St. John's, we'd fly down to Stephenville, and uh, we'd bust the Port of Bass and Quarterbrook from there. And we'd get in the night before, and we'd go to the bar, and it'd be about 2 o'clock in the morning, and there'd be me and Dave Matt, and he'd be carrying around a tray of uh, rum and Cokes. And I didn't even know the guy at first. I thought he was, like, working there. And I said, uh, buddy, can I get a drink? And he said, fuck you, go get your own. And I was looking at him, and I didn't know who the hell this guy was, this big guy. I thought he was just working at the bar, walking around with a tray of rum and Cokes. Kept an eye on him. He was drinking every one of those damn rum and Cokes. And the next day, he was their starting goalie. And everybody on the team talked about this guy. He dropped the gloves against us. I don't know who he fought, but, yeah, he was... Like a six foot four knucklehead playing goal, like he should have been a goon, that guy because he was unreal, unreal tough. <laughs> uh, um, well, yeah, what was the name? Uh, Tim Brantner and Sheldon Curry, they were in Stephenville, and then uh, 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 Stan uh, Hettinger was he in St. John's too? He was in St. John's, yeah, and then uh, Billy Breen, and then he ended up coming over to uh, Port of Bass at towards the end of the season, but there was uh, a lot of cops played in that league. So, I mean, those guys, most of those guys were pretty tough, and they were kind of living the dream, you know, this, this is where they could legally go and try and beat somebody up, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. without the badge on. And, uh, yeah, no, it was a tough league. It really was. There was, uh, like, Terry's not wrong. There were at least two tough guys on every team. Like, uh, 
and guys you guys you maybe never heard of guys that played played some uh some nhl some ahl ihl all kinds of leagues there was uh yeah there was there was always a fight to be found if you wanted to find one but there were some damn good hockey players there too yeah, really good hockey yeah players. i think terry was talking about robbie forbes yeah oh forbes yeah he wasn't uh he, he wasn't the tallest guy he was a. Uh, but he was a good player. He played over in Europe, I think. Like he was a kind of a looked like almost Italian or something. A little darker skin, dark mustache, but thick as a truck. And yeah, he was solid in front of the net. He was a tough, tough guy, but he wasn't a fighter. Uh, but one of the best hockey players down there, and it's one of the best stories, honestly. I I, I know. Um, I played with this guy's brother. Uh, guy's name that I played with was Gary Sullivan. He was an older guy, balding, mustache playing for the fun of the game. I'm not even sure what he did for a living. But he had a younger brother, Andy Sullivan. Have you ever heard that name? Uh, uh, you're reading my mind, actually. I have that name written right down right here. Uh, that was the next oh, name, name I was going to ask you. Yeah. Seriously, yeah, because uh, I'll, I'll never forget. I played with Gary Sullivan, and I really liked him. He was probably 7 or 8, 9, 10 years older than me. And his brother, Andy, um, bought into a fish plant. And he played. I don't know. I don't know where he played junior or if he ever played any pro. But he played in the Newfoundland Senior League after junior, anyway. And he was probably six four, a skill guy, um, kind of a power forward back then, but uh, not overly physical, more skilled. But I'll, I'll never forget. He got called to go to play for the Quebec farm team in Fredericton, and he was a part owner. He had bought a fish plant, him and a buddy, small fish plant, and they were doing pretty good in their business, and. Quebec Nordiques offered him a contract to come and finish the year out in uh, Fredericton, I believe. And they said, you do well, and we'll bring you up to the Nords for the playoffs. And he turned them down. He didn't leave the rock. He just wanted to stay and operate his fish plant. Honest to God, I'll never forget that. His brother Gary was telling me. and But he was, even in the, I think if you look at his stats, and I haven't, but I think if you look at his stats, you'll probably see he played, like for the when the American Hockey League was over there in uh, St. John's, I'm sure he played for years, two or three games for a couple hundred bucks whenever they were short players, instead of bringing them over. If you look at his stats, I bet you'll see that. I never looked at him, but uh, yes. I'm sure he'll have a couple of games, a couple of years in a row in the American Hockey League, where he was just called out a senior to come and play. Yeah, three seasons with the St. John's Maple Leafs. Yeah, 93, did, 94, eh? 95. Yeah, periodically, 16 games, 15 games. Yeah. Yeah, and he was playing senior hockey and working at his fish plant, running his fish plant at the same time. Yeah, unreal. He was quite a guy. He was a good player. He probably could have gone more places than he did. Yeah, for sure. Well, that I was saying to you off the air. I said I, w- I was amazed once um, when I started like looking into your career and um, with the whole Newfoundland thing with the senior league. I mean, you know, senior hockey around here and all that. I mean, you know, Allen Cup and all that stuff. <clears throat> you know, so obviously I'm familiar with senior hockey, but. I didn't realize what a kind of a springboard at the time what the Newfoundland League was. Um, not only just for tough guys, but like what we were talking about Mario Rivera. I mean, yeah. two, year, two years later, he's winning the Stanley Cup with the Montreal Canadiens. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like it's wild, right? Yeah, one of a really good coach came out of there too. Uh, Marty Williamson was a D man on my team in Mount Pearl. And he's been a coach, general manager uh, down in the OHL for I don't know, fifteen years probably. Yeah, and like really, yeah, yeah, and like Terry said, there was just the money was flying around at the time, and guys were making a lot of money, and uh, 
Yeah, no, I was just fascinated listening to it. It was like, I talked to a couple other guys that were kind of like, you know, they're really into senior hockey out in the Maritimes, and they're just, they're throwing names, and, and like I said, when I said, oh, I'm going to have Grant on, oh, I'll ask him about this guy, and this guy, and this guy, so, yeah, that's where I got the name from, and they're like, you got to ask him about this guy, but, uh, but yeah. yeah, so that was uh, the wild uh, Maritime Senior Hockey League, but, uh, so you wrap up there, and uh, at this point, um, like what, what's the, what, what's the options here? Have you been, have you heard from anybody or, um, I mean, you, you obviously the, the following season, you end up in Erie in the East coast league, but leading into that, what was, uh, what was the game plan? Honestly, like, honestly, the plan was really just to go back to Newfoundland. Probably like I really didn't have much for options at the time. Um, so I really didn't think too much about it over the summer, played ball and, and had some beers with the boys. And then uh, when I was getting closer to time to uh, figure out what, what a guy was doing there, uh, we we decided, we were, me and a buddy of mine, that Darren Misiak, decided we were going to try to go to the East Coast Hockey League. And we phoned around, and some guys we knew were going to uh, the Johnstown Chiefs, um, like a guy named Rick Boyd that we had met out in, uh, in that Bellingham camp that we had gone to. And so we were planning on going to Johnstown, and then, like I said, the owner – coach GM of our team ended up calling me and I said to Darren Misiak, I said, Hey, like we're going to a team that's, you know, we had to bag for a tryout. Here's a team that uh, is asking us to come. So I like our chances here. So yeah. So four of us ended up, uh, just Stephen Winky, Brian Kunkel, myself and uh, Darren Misiak loaded up in two cars and drove from, uh, Yorkton all the way down to Erie, Pennsylvania in a matter of a couple of days, stopping by, uh, UND to visit uh, Grant Teranika and a couple guys that played with uh, Misiak in uh, North Battleford. We stopped there, Vic Stinsky and Kobarinski, a couple guys he had played with. We stopped there and watched the game um, and headed on through to Erie. And that's where my three years in Erie started. What, what, yeah, well, what, were your, what were your first impressions of Erie, Pennsylvania? Well, it was a big city, and, you know, being from Saskatchewan and York, I mean, it was a big city. It was like kind of like a dirty Saskatoon, really. Like it was, it was quite large, uh, blue, very blue collar. Um, it had some plants there that were closed down. Like it was fairly, it was quite poor actually back then. It wasn't a real wealthy community. So uh, I don't know how much that's changed really, but, but uh, I was just, I was just kind of amazed that I was playing in a city that big or trying out. I got into this city that was, was that big because it, it seemed like a metropolitan city, big big area to me anyway. Yeah, well, and like you said, this is the 88-89, and this is actually the first year of the East Coast Hockey League, and it's uh, it's a it's a five team league, and uh, and and you guys were good. You know, you, it's a sixty game schedule. You guys thirty seven twenty. You you, uh, you you know won the league. Uh, um, what what were the crowd like? What were the crowds like in Erie? Well, I think we seated about 6,000 people and we were like, we were three quarters full just every night, but we were, uh, yeah, we were, we were probably four or 5,000 fans a game at the start there. Um, I mean, we'd get more for certain teams when Johnstown came in, we'd probably get more because, uh, it was, it was like four and a half hours to Johnstown and the other, uh, the other teams we drove to were like 12 hour bus rides. Every one of them, it was, uh, it was a ridiculous type of schedule. We played down there. We played, uh, like you said, five teams, 60-game schedule. We played uh, 15 games against each team, not counting uh, playoffs and exhibitions. So, like, Johnstown one year, I think we uh, 
I think the first year we played them like close to 20 times. So, so of course, uh, relationships get strained over, over yeah. a 20 game course where first couple games you're, you know, you're fighting out of uh, necessity in the last 10 games you're fighting because, Hey, we're down a goal, buddy. You want to give me a goal here? You know, so guys like Brock Kelly and Johnstown, uh, Darren Servatius, Rick Boyd, Mitch Malloy was there. Uh, they, they had a, they had a handful of, like, it wasn't a lot unlike the senior league. We, uh, we didn't have guys that worked for them. Like, you know, you had the Newfoundlanders back in the Newfoundland league that had to go to school, play university or work. But, uh, it's the same type of thing. You had a handful of tough guys on every team. Some could play, some couldn't. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a pretty skilled league to be honest with you. For me anyway, coming out of, out of Newfoundland, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty good step up. Uh, well, and that's the, and you know, you had a hell of a first year, 58 games, 24 goals, uh, 56 points, 300 minutes. So you're staying busy there on the, in the penalty minutes. And like you said, no shortage of, uh, of characters in the league. Um, one of the characters is on your team in Erie and he is sort of, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, you know, if you, if you go to hockey DB and look this guy up, I mean, you'll get carpal tunnel scrolling down. He's played on so many teams. Um, and Doug Smith talks about him in his book, and uh, he's quite the character. It was Ron Aubrey? Yeah, oh for sure, Ron Aubrey. We called him Bubba. Uh, I'm not sure if he liked it or not, but he had a big forehead, and he was a he was a giant man. Like he was six four. He probably was 230 pounds. Um, and honestly, if you look back, like I don't know where he played hockey before. Like I don't know where he grew up playing hockey. Uh, he was from Maine, um, but. Honestly, when we went to that uh, first year camp, we uh, like I said that Darren Misiak that you talk about, you know, you know of him. We drove together in his little Toyota Tercel, uh, twenty five hundred kilometers to get to Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, there was going to be a sixteen man roster, like uh, nine five and like nine forwards, five D, and two goaltenders was the maximum roster you carried. So the the plan there was it wasn't supposed to it was supposed to be a development league. So by going with a minimal roster, they tried to keep the the goon show out of it, which really didn't work that well. But uh, but me and Nisiak drove all that way down there in a Toyota Tercel, and there ended up only being about 22 or 24 guys trying out, and a lot of them were Division three college guys. So there wasn't much for toughness there. So how do you show yourself how tough you are if there's, you know, you fight the only tough guy that is there, and that was this big guy that looked like McGilla Gorilla, and his name was Ron Aubrey. Um, and me and Nisiak both tried to fight him. We went after him. We chopped him. We cross-checked him. And he wanted nothing to do with us. So it ended up I was going off the ice after the first practice. We were a little scrimmage there trying to fight Aubrey. He wouldn't fight either of us. I was going off the ice, and Darren Misiak said, oh, yeah, that a boy fat ass. You don't need any exercise, eh? Like Because they were doing a little skate after, and I was going off the ice. So I said, what'd you say? And I turned around and I ended up coming back on and fought the buddy that I drove 2,500 kilometers with. That was my first East Coast Hockey League fight. And it was uh, in training camp against the guy I drove down there with. So it was, it was pretty funny. And I, well, you know, getting to play with Ron Aubrey, the guy you talked about, um, probably eight or ten games into the season, uh, we were playing the Winston-Salem uh, Thunderbirds. And it was a three-fight rule back then. And one of the guys that traveled down with us was a guy named Brian Kunkel. He played for the Terriers with me, um, played senior against me later on. Uh, pretty good hockey player, but he was about 6'1", maybe 190 pounds, but he was tough, farmer tough, and scared of nothing. 
And he had a couple fights against uh, the Thunderbirds, the Carolina Thunderbirds. He had a couple good fights. And our coach had made him an assistant captain. So the kid ended up going home after 15 games, was homesick, missed the girlfriend and stuff. And he went home. But I wish he would have stayed because he, he could have been a good hockey story, this Brian Kunkel. But uh, he had two fights. And the coach told him, okay, don't fight again no matter what. And they sent out a guy named John Diskowski that was a third-round draft pick, a big guy, not really a tough, tough guy, but a big guy that was uh, drafted out of the Brandon Wheat Kings. And John Diskowski came and jumped uh, Brian Kunkel at the face-off after a goal. And Kunkel, Kunkel kind of just took it and turtled like uh, the coach told him to do. So the guy got a penalty. And Ron Hansis, our coach, sent Bubba, sent this Ron Aubrey out and said, listen, you, you're going to deal with that guy. Okay, okay. So what he meant was when he gets out of that box, right, yeah. you're going to deal with that guy that just jumped our pair. Well, Aubrey decides he skates right over to the penalty box when the coach puts him on. Honest to God, he skates right over to the penalty box and he starts yelling at the guy. And the guy stands up and he's about six foot five and he's in the penalty box. And he starts throwing a couple punches and Aubrey gets in there and starts wrestling around in the box with him and throwing punches. The Skowski backs up, takes a stick, and I promise you, three swings, two or three swings, caught him right over the head, right over the shoulder, bust his stick, and this Ron Aubrey jumped up over top of the boards, got into the penalty box, and beat the shit out of that guy. And after that, me and Derek Misiak were saying, Jesus, maybe we shouldn't tease, uh, shouldn't tease Big Bubba here too much anymore. But, uh, yeah, Aubrey, Aubrey fought everybody. He, he didn't like fighting, I don't think, but he was, uh, yeah, he was a menace. He played in a lot of leagues and fought a lot of menace, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh well we'll get into the yeah, to the the uh the Cape Cod thing in a bit here, but uh uh well like you said, five team league and uh well I mean we'll we'll stay with uh the Carolina Thunderbirds who actually uh ended up winning it that year. Um but uh one of the guys, of course, famously on the team was of course Doug the Thug Smith. From uh, from goon fame and everything, and I did have him on the show a couple months back, and your name came up, and we talked about you, and um, you know, he just said you're a heck of a player. I don't think you, I think he said you guys never fought though. I don't think you ever fought Doug Smith, but do you remember like seeing him and like kind of hearing the story of Doug Smith at the time? Yeah, well, no, no, no. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, Doug. I, I'm not not blowing my own horn too much, but like I said, I uh, one thing I picked up in in junior hockey was uh, the first two years I fought and I was a plugger. Then I got to play with good players, and I understood that like Norm Johnson gave me a an opportunity to play at a good line if I did my job. So my job was to look after after the skill guys, and that's what I did in the East Coast League. After Newfoundland, I did it in Newfoundland, and in the East Coast League. Um, Going into my first year there, uh, I was on the top line right away. Like I, I was one of the more skilled, tough guys we had, so they put me on our top line, and I, that's the reason my my points are up there. I always got to play with good players in the East Coast League. But uh, Doug Smith would come out, and he would challenge everybody. And I, Whether he challenged me or not, uh, I don't remember, but he was a really clumsy kid, Like especially that uh, Carolina days. Like He had just started to play – hockey and I, I don't know if he played 20 games that year he wasn't very good on the skates we had a couple of guys that fought him and I don't think I ever fought him but I don't think my coach would have appreciated me fighting him uh, we had other guys that were more than willing to fight him and and 
Doug won some fights, but like his first year there, he was a, you know, he was a bit weak on his skates. He could, he was a big cat that could throw big wild punches, but his balance was a little bit lacking. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, no, you definitely remember him. He was out there every shift asking everybody in the rink to fight. I think he even asked a couple of refs because he just wanted to fight so bad. That's the reason he was there. That's all he wanted to do. There had nothing to do with hockey. He just wanted to get out there and fight, and which was, you know, everybody knows uh, goons, knuckleheads, tough guys, but never in my life had I seen a guy that was just there for absolutely nothing else but to fight. And it was, it was unreal to see, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that, that's quite the story. I mean, obviously, everybody knows the, the Doug Smith story that listens to this show. Um, for, and for those of it, or if you're just tuning in, it's your first time because you're, you know, you're, you're here for Grant and whatever. Uh, I encourage you to go back and check out the back catalog. It's a couple months back. Uh, the episode number is just go through the catalog. You'll find it. But Doug Smith, we end up talking for about two hours and he talks all about the East Coast League year this year. And, uh, yeah, 28 games, 179 minutes. He was a gold glove boxer from Boston that learned to skate at 20. So three years later, he's in the East Coast League and uh, winning a championship and he's got the ring. He still laughs about it. He still can't believe it. And, uh, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, he's an, he's an interesting guy. But, uh, yeah, he tell, it's a heck of a story anyway. But, uh, but legit tough dude for sure. But yeah, the, uh, it's pretty funny to, uh, to, you know, three years later to think that he's actually playing pro hockey after just learning how to skate. But, uh, Another, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, but like you say, he had the pedigree for it. Like, he was a legit tough guy before he ever put on skates, right? So, obviously, he had that advantage of being a boxer. So, he at least knew how to yeah. punch. You know, the balance, well, you know, just don't let him land one, I guess, and you'll be okay. But um, yeah. sure. but a guy that they did have on their team, um, another a real tough guy that went on and played in the NHL for a while with Bill Heward. Uh, yeah, I remember Billy. I fought him honestly. Like uh, I think he started out that year, and and back then, like a lot of guys had reputations. You know, like uh, you'd talk about certain guys. This guy's played five years of pro. This guy played here. This guy was a tough guy in that league. Billy here's a guy that came in that nobody really knew anything about. It was before hockey DB. There was the hockey news, which none of us really cared about or read at the time, really. Like, uh, Bill Heard came into the league, and I'll never forget, I fought him his first game in the league, when he, well, first game against us. Um, he was probably an inch or so shorter than me, but he was quite a bit thicker. He was a big, husky guy, and he was like me, like, a little better skilled than me. He played in the OHL, I guess, and he was a year younger. But he came in, and I had a bit of a reputation already. It was probably a third of the way into the season, so guys knew I was willing. Guys knew I could fight. And we were at a face-off, and he came up to me, and I'll never forget it. I've told the story before. This this guy skates out to me, and I mean, we all look baby faced, like even the twenty five year olds back then. So I couldn't tell you if he was seventeen or twenty seven, but he skated right up to me at the face off, and he looked at me and he said, "You want a chance at the belt?" And I looked at him and I said, well, "Holy fuck! Where's this guy from? I didn't know where he was from, how old he was, where he played, nothing." So we ended up going. We had a good fight, but that's the only thing I remember about Bill here. He was in the league for. I don't think he he maybe finished the first year in that league, but he was called up probably, and then uh, never drafted, but uh, fought his way up. I think he played in Ottawa, in the Oilers, maybe yep. Dallas, maybe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was uh, he was a pretty good pretty good player. Like he skated well, but for a big guy, and 
yeah, like I said, he uh, he didn't know me from a hole in the ground, but guys must have been talking about me because when he came, I was the first thing he beelined on and skated right up to me and face off and and challenged me. So asked if I wanted to crack it at the belt. So yeah, I do remember him for sure. Yeah, actually, he ended up playing yeah two hundred twenty three NHL games. Yeah, 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 but yeah. He, tough kid. He was a tough guy for sure. Yeah. Well, you made mention of it about uh, Johnstown, and of course. You know, with the infamous War Memorial Arena, made famous yeah. by Slapshot, of course. And of course, well, and then of course you have one of the Hanson brothers from the movie, Steve Carlson's the coach. Um, yeah, absolutely. What was your What was your impressions the first time you roll into Johnstown at that War Memorial? I mean, obviously you'd seen Slapshot and everything else, and here you are rolling into Johnstown. What was that first trip like? Oh, it was unreal! Like, uh, really, it was just another old rink. Like, it was a pretty old barn back then i'd say you know like uh i'm not sure when it was built but you know the story of slap shot you go into the rink you look around you can see the stairwell you know yeah. you can where uh, the, the the owner's office or the GM's office was up there and yeah it was uh it had the high step to get on the ice it was about a foot and a half two feet high to climb on and off the ice it was uh yeah it was it was a lot of fun going in there and it was kind of surreal you know because they wore the chief's jerseys right and you've seen the movie slap shot and there's a lot of fighting going on, and the fans were nuts. Yeah, no, I, you know what? Honestly, that was one of my favorite rinks uh, that I ever played in for a lot of reasons. But, uh, yeah, no, I love that rink, to be honest with you. The fans, I used to love the fans. They hated me, um, which I liked even more. I, I learned to juggle in that penalty box. I juggled pucks. Guys still talk about it in the paper. Uh, Brock Kelly actually had got a hold of me. We, we hung out the night in... Uh, Bellingham, Washington, when we were like 21, 22 years old, I never talked to him again until a month, month and a half ago when he phoned me. We swore at each other on the ice. We yapped at each other. We fought. Never talked to him until we became Facebook friends talking about a buddy of ours, that, a guy we knew that died. Um, we started, uh, he phoned me up and just started talking for about an hour and a half one night. And he was back for a reunion there. And he said, oh, God, they still remember you. Like they had a tournament there or something. They still remember you. They were talking about you. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed playing in Johnstown. Well, like you said, you bet you had a few. How'd the fights go with him? He's tough. He's a big dude. He's a tough guy. Who's that, Brock Kelly? Yeah. Brock Kelly, I bet you, and not a word of a lie, we had to have fought 10 times in our first year. Him and Darren Servatius were the, the two guys. Uh, probably I fought the most in the, in the whole league. Um, Darren was a good, good, good defenseman, a captain from BC, and and Brock I think was from Ontario. But yeah, Brock and I had a lot of uh, a lot of tangles. And the one thing he told me uh, in our conversation was he was he was always a little intimidated by me. He said he never he knew he could never beat me is what he told me. But I I honestly felt the same bloody way. Like honest to God, he was a big guy, six four, six five, uh, lanky, um, kind of yappy like me, a little bit yappy. And like I said, we fought an awful lot, and I don't know, probably more draws than wins. I don't know who beat who how many times, but yeah, he was a tough cat, and he was a pretty intimidating figure out there, for sure. And But an honest player, too. I mean, you knew you weren't going to get stuck in the throat by him, but uh, yeah, if you did something, you'd have to answer the bell, for sure. Well, you, you mentioned Darren Cervase, and he had his brother Ron as well, as well right? Yeah, Ron actually played a, a half a year in Yorkton here with me, so I knew Ron. I never knew Darren until uh, out, uh, out on uh, that Bellingham uh, camp we all went to is where I kind of got to run into Ron and or Darren and meet him out there. 
Well, you mentioned the juggling the pucks thing. And there was a few articles that I read about you. And uh, I heard, it, it, and the, they sort of, uh, uh, in the articles, mentioned about the juggling of the pucks. And they also, about like a, like this Hulk Hogan thing that you would do. And they were sort of saying, you're kind of your post-fight theatrics and stuff. Was this something you were known for? Did you do this a lot? Um, I did it at home. Like in, in the Erie, and I wouldn't say a lot. I did it more like my first year, and then my second year I started doing it. But they made me the captain, and I, I kind of thought it was a little bit. Even uh, I went to Winnipeg Jets camp, and they said you got to lose some of this, right? Like, yeah, this it's fine to play tough and do stuff, but like this kind of stuff should really not be part of the game. But yeah, no, I would, uh, I'd have a fight, and if if I happened to win uh, and win handily, I would I would do the Hulk thing at center ice. I'd I'd go from, you know, inside the center ice circle with my hands in my ear and waving at the fans to bring the volume up. And then I'd kind of shuffle over to the other side and put it in. The refs were trying to get me in the penalty box. And I'd, you know, I made a bit of a show about it. But, uh, you know, I think that's why the fans liked me in Erie. And I uh, I got accepted pretty well down there. I, uh, yeah, I was a bit of a showman, I'll admit it. No, no, I, I have no regrets, really. <laughs> yeah, it's the Warriors. You got you to sell tickets, right? It's all about the show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, one of the teams, another one of the teams is the Knoxville Cherokees. And a couple of the guys in their team I wanted to ask you about, um, their tougher guys was Greg Batters and, uh, um, uh, Alex, Alex Davio. Yeah. Yeah. I played with Davio later, later in my, uh, my last year we got Alex came to play in Erie and, Alex Davio was like 5'11", 180 pounds, I bet you, 175 pounds soaking wet. And his nose was as crooked as he's ever seen. He barely spoke English. He was French. Uh, black hair, black eyes, black eyebrows, black everything. And he, he was not big, but my God, he fought everybody in that league, and there was no quit. Uh, when you fought him, you, uh, you, it was a commitment. You know, like you really knew you were in a battle. There's no doubt about that. But like I say, not a big guy, but he fought every heavyweight in that league. Every night he fought. Um, what a, like, unreal gamer, that guy. Um, and Greg Batters, same thing. He was a guy that came out of junior that fought a bit in junior. Um, he was a bit skilled coming into that league. He was probably, you know, the complete opposite of me. He was probably, he was probably more of a skilled guy that, uh, ended up fighting out of, uh, a necessity, I think. If I read Greg right, he was a tough kid. He was six two, you know, two hundred pounds. But uh, but he was more of the opposite of me. Like he was more of a skill guy that ended up uh, fighting as a necessity, and I was more the other way around, a, a, a fighting guy that ended up, you know, getting a bit of skill later on. But yeah, both both tough guys, and both both showed up every night for sure. There's not a doubt about that. Well, and then the final team I got to ask you about, of course, the Virginia Lancers. Um, <laughs> there, there's some guy. They sort of they have quite the roster, but uh, yeah, it's kind of uh, there are a couple names. And I think uh, Doug Smith talked about the one guy. Um, you know, fairly skilled player. He's a pretty big guy. I think he's from the area from Ma- from Massachusetts. Uh, was Bill Whitfield? Oh and, yeah, Bill was a big D man. Yeah, yeah. Again, Bill, Bill wasn't one of the. Bill fought once in a while, but he wasn't really one of the heavyweights in the league. Not that he couldn't be. But uh, he was more—he was more of a, a def- uh, all good all-around defenseman. He fought once in a while, but but Bill wasn't one of the heavyweights that they had down there. They had they had other guys that came and went. Uh, 
they had another guy that had some skill, a tough guy. Greg Nish fought Watts. Yep. Uh, and then they had uh, oh, uh, Burridge. Joel, I think a Burridge is Joel, other Joel, played in the NHL. Yeah, yeah. Joel Burridge. Yeah. Then there was a guy Stephen Dahl. Like there was a guy like Greg that. Ware. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Greg Ware too. Uh, that Burridge kid, I didn't like him too much. He, uh, I know he tried to gouge me one time, and I, I didn't, I wasn't fond of that. I'll tell you, but. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, they had some tough guys. Greg Nietzsche was probably the one guy that showed up every night and, again, put pucks in the net and would drop the gloves anytime he was asked, for sure. Well, so that kind of wraps up your, your well, unfortunately, yeah, like you said, you guys, I said at the start there, you guys, you know, you finished first in the league and unfortunately you lost in the first round. Um, and it was interesting because, uh, like I said, Carolina went on to, to win it that year. Um, but, um, the, the the following year, um, after after your first year in Erie, you had mentioned to me, um, was it Las Vegas that you tried out for? Yeah, I ended up. Uh, I went to Winnipeg Jets camp, and they sent me to. Uh, or no, I went to the year before. After my first year, I went to the New York Rangers camp. Okay, and they they sent me sent me to directly to Flint, and I had a chance to make Flint. And uh, I ended up not making Flint and getting sent from there to uh, to uh, Las Vegas to the Roadrunners, Las Vegas Roadrunners. They were back then, and that's where I met Jock Miot and a couple of those guys. But uh, what happened there is I went when I went to Las Vegas and I got cut from uh, when I got cut from Las Vegas. I ended up going to the getting uh, well getting moved back to area in the east coast hockey league but uh i really thought i had a chance to make las vegas and just the, a guy named jeff harding i think it was um i think it was jeff harding it, he was with philadelphia flyers under contract yeah. the way it worked back then is i, I signed a, a 25 game tryout and before the league even started they got a guy sent down that was they would have to pay half of my contract type of thing and the pro team would pay the other half and what happened was uh they got a guy that was under full contract, and I just kind of got released and back to the East Coast League. Um, well, you well you mentioned right at the start that you're in New York Ranger camp. Uh, did did you have any fights there? Uh, I had a couple fights, but I can't remember any of the guys' names. To be honest with you, I, I can't remember who I was fighting there. Um, probably just guys out of the minors like myself, maybe IHL guys and stuff. But yeah, I don't really remember out of there. And this is. Also- I do remember. I do remember. Uh, I do remember Winnipeg Jets camp uh, had a couple fights there, and the one guy I fought there ended up coaching. Ended up coaching my uh, kid in the East Coast Hockey League a couple of years. So. Um, oh, we're we're get, we'll get there. We'll get there. I got that. I got all article. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Okay. We'll leave that alone for now. <laughs> um. <clears throat> now I'm I'm just trying to timeline it here. So, uh, when were you in Cape Cod at that tryout? Cape Cod was okay. I went to the Jets camp between my last year, my last two years in Erie. So that was after my uh, second year in Erie. I went down to Cape Cod to that camp, Joe Lyons camp there. After the second year, okay. Well, yeah. so you okay? Well, we'll go okay. So your second, well, we'll do your second year. So it's it's eighty nine ninety. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now this time the East Coast League has has went from five teams to eight. Um, once yeah. again, you guys finish in first. So you're, you're again, strong team. Um, and, and, uh, 
of course, uh, well, Bill McDougal's on the, back on the team now, as you were talking about going up and down and, and, and yeah. all that. And, uh, I guess his brother Rob as well. Yeah. And brother Rob was there the year before, actually. He was a roommate of mine. Um, that's kind of how Billy got down to Erie, why he came to Erie, because his brother was there. So he came to play with his brother. Really didn't belong in the league. He was way too good for the league. He should have been staying up in the American Hockey League. But, uh, yeah, that's that's how he got down to the East Coast League. Well, uh, one of the teams that uh, was uh, the Winston-Salem uh, Thunderbirds, and uh, and they were coached, actually, by Chris McSorley. Um, <laughs> did you? Did, uh, well, yeah. I, I've heard stories of Chris McSorley. What, do you have any? Did you have any run-ins with well, him? Well, back then it was a bit different time. Like at you, you would travel and you might play a guy twice in a in a weekend, or you might overnight there. And after every after every game, everybody was going to the same bars. So, uh, and and periodically guys would be fighting in the bars after. Not often, but it, it, it would it was known to happen. But uh, uh, when Christmas Morley was, all I remember was. Uh, the boys telling me stories about him, and he came out to the bar actually one night. But the boys telling me stories about Chris McSorley, and and said, which they never should have probably said to me was, uh, uh, whatever you do, don't call him Chomper. Don't call him Chomper because uh, apparently he bit a guy's nose off when he was playing in the IHL uh, in a fight. So uh, I don't know, maybe the first shift. Maybe the first, maybe I waited until the second shift going by their bench when I chop, when I, uh, when I screamed out chomper. How's it going? And, uh, yeah, it was a long night after that. So it wasn't hard to find a fight after that, let's see. <laughs> um, well, one of the names that one of the guys that's on this team, uh, is Troy Volhofer. And you were saying off the air, we didn't, uh, we didn't talk about it earlier, but you had been in Brandon Wheat King's camp. And uh, you were saying one of your fights was in Saskatoon against Troy Volhofer, and it didn't go too well. No, yeah, Troy was more of a point guy and a, like a two, like he was physical and stuff, but he wasn't very big. But I guess he was willing to fight, and and I was trying to make the Brandon Wheat Kings, and I had had a couple good scraps in camp, so he kept me around for a couple exhibition games. Uh, we played against the Pats, and then we played. No, we played. Sorry, we played against the Moose Jaw Warriors with. Uh, uh, Kelly Buckberger, who I grew up playing against, and Theron Fleury from down the road here, and and then we played Saskatoon Blades the second game, and uh, yeah, I ended up dropping the gloves, Volhofer and me, and I didn't fare very well. He got he got the better of me for sure, and uh, it wasn't long after that I was on my way back to back to the Yorkton Terriers out of the WHL. So two games I got, a couple of fights, two games, and uh, back down to the SJHL. Well, so now you catch up to him again here. In the, did you have a rematch with him in the East Coast League? No, he was a fighter down there, but he, but he was a guy that, like, honestly, he didn't care. He didn't care unless he would spear you right in the throat. Um, he used his stick more than his fists in the East Coast League, and he, he was down there for fun, I think. Like, he would, those guys in uh, Winston-Salem, they golfed every day, and uh, hockey was kind of a secondary thing to them. And, like, the first year when they beat us out, we had the better team all year, and all of a sudden, four or five guys show up at the end of the year that were, uh, you know, coming out of Division One college, and the roster got stacked up a bit, and yeah, so they walked through us in the playoffs, and uh, yeah, he was 
he was a uh, physical guy, like a, a bit of a greasy player, put up a lot of numbers. But, yeah, he was like a Bill McDougall that could score, but he could also look after himself. He had, he didn't need somebody to look after him. He had two-handier, spear, yeah, you know, not a problem. <coughs> well, one of the teams, of course, in the league, and you got to bring it up because everybody seems to obviously have a story, uh, was Hampton Roads. And, of course, Hampton Roads has the famous for the coach, John Brophy. Um, and, and he, of course, he liked his tough teams and everything else. But before we get into some of the guys on the team, um, do you have any Brophy stories? Do you have any run-ins with him? Well, not a lot of run-ins with him. I mean, he he used to yap at players. Like, he would yap at me and he would yap at some of our other guys. But uh, the one good uh, Hampton Road story I had with John Brophy was uh, – that Darren Nisiak that played with us that you, you talked about that uh, I went down to Erie with. We played our first year. Uh, we ended up uh, the second year Darren Nisiak was back in Erie with us, and he ended up getting cut by our owner slash coach GM, and and it was kind of a funny story. He was in tears, but he, the coach offered him a bus driving job and said, you know what, if you want to stick around for the year, because you know, we have limited rosters, but if you stick around and you want to drive the bus, you know, if nothing else pans out for you, and then if we need guys, we can put you in the lineup periodically. And he thought about it, and it would be quite the story to go from the ECHL, you know, fight his way up to the American League that year, and maybe end up in the NHL was his uh, his dream. But what ended up happening is he got cut, and he got picked up the same day by Hampton Roads on a short-term kind of. He bounced around a bit after he left Erie, but Brophy picked him up, and his uh, his first game was one of his first games anyway. It was right there in, in Erie with against us. And uh, they had a goal scorer with a big mouth that was a good good player and uh, kind of a dirty player, but uh, a guy named Trevor Job, always one of the top scorers, but bigger guy. I think he played maybe in Moose Jaw as well. I'm not. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, uh, I got, he was yapping on the bench, and I, I went over and I started yapping at Brophy uh, or at uh, Trevor Job, and then uh, Brophy said something to me, and I said, "Well, I'm right here. Send your toughest guy. Who do you got? Send your toughest guy." Because they really didn't have a lot of tough guys at the time, but they did pick up Darren Misiak. And I could just see out of the corner of my eye, he was down at the end of the bench, just kind of shaking his head. And I, I made it to the point where he really didn't have any other option. Beach jumped the bench and left his gloves on the bench and came off, and we fought in Erie like within hours after he'd been let go, uh, pretty much. Uh, it was kind of a funny one. Uh, Brof sent him out on, you know, sent him out after me, right after he picked him up, so... That was a good story. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, one of the guys, yeah. he, uh, I mean, you, you crossed paths with him the following season, but this year he came down and he played five games with them, uh, was Jacques Mayotte. Oh, yeah, Jacques, yeah. He's the, he's one of the guys he crossed. Uh, he kind of came in late to one of the pro camps I was at and where I thought I had a chance to make a team. Uh, it might have been, been in Fort Wayne, to be honest with you. He came down there and... Uh, I was pretty much thinking I had a spot on the team, fought my way on there. I had actually played a couple exhibition games on the left side of two guys you might have heard of. Uh, my centerman was Bruce Boudreaux, and my right winger was John Anderson. There you go. Uh, yeah, so they put me out there, and I think they gave me about four scoring chances in two games, and I don't know even know if I hit the net. So, uh, But I fought a few times down there, and... I thought I had a chance to make the team, and then uh, Jacques Mayotte came, and he had played and fought in the NHL a bit and played in the American League, and uh, well, they ended up signing him, and I was back on my way to the to the East East Coast. But uh, he ended up back in the East Coast when we played Johnstown that year, and uh, I think we fought four times in five games, 
in uh, in the first round of the playoffs, and they beat us out. But uh, yeah, I got I got four dances with uh, with an NHL heavyweight, so that was all right. Well, it's interesting. You were talking about that IHL with the Phoenix Roadrunners. I would think with Boudreaux mm-hmm. and uh, was like Robbie Nichols and Kerry Clark and all them there. Not Kerry Clark. Robbie Nichols was there. Uh, but Bruce Boudreaux and uh, John Anderson was in Fort Wayne when I was in Fort Wayne after uh, must have been Winnipeg Jets camp, I guess. Okay. Yeah, those guys that played with, yeah, played with them in uh, Fort Wayne in the IHL. Um, well, yeah, I was going to say with with Mayotte, I mean, just to stick with Jacques for a second, I mean, you know, he has the reputation, you know, he played all over the minors and, um, you know, fought everybody. His fight card is like, you know, it's the who's who of minor league hockey. And, uh, you know, pretty good left-hander. Um, what, what was it like, uh, you know, fight? Did you have trouble with him? Or did you, you know, how'd it go with him? Um, uh, to be honest with you, the first time I did, and after that I didn't really. Uh, the first time I fought him was uh, he came down to Hampton Roads. And uh, uh, it must have been in Hampton because I'll, I'll never forget John Brophy. I was out there for the opening face-off. All of a sudden, Brophy's yelling from the bench, and I, I look up because I had I had never never played against him, but he came down, like I said, to uh, Fort Wayne and took my job, pretty much. Um, a legit tough guy got my job, so he came down to Hampton Roads, and I didn't know much about him. I knew he'd fought in the NHL, so I knew he was a tough guy. A little leery about him, didn't know anything about him, never saw him fight. So uh, all I heard first face off was uh, John Brophy yelling from the bench, and I looked. And here's Jacques Mayotte got sent out to fight me in the very first shift. So he comes out and he goes and lined up on the wrong side. So he lined up against, uh, well, probably it was Bill McDougall at the time, I guess, was my right winger. So uh, Brophy's yelling from the bench, no, you, whatever he was yelling, other side, other side. So then he switched sides with the wingers, came over, and we squared off right away, dropped the gloves, and I... I was a little leery, and then all of a sudden I, I got the first few in, and I thought I had things under control. I was pretty happy with myself. He wasn't really getting any punches in until uh, until the linesman started to get in there, and then I realized what he was doing. He was just trying to get me tired, and then he was ready to go when I would have been tired out. But, uh, yeah, so the linesman got in there. He was pretty upset, and we never fought again then until uh, he was in Johnstown. And like I said, we fought four times in a, in a playoff series, and uh, – I think I did very good the first time, and after that, I had no qualms about fighting him again. I, I kind of had him figured out, so I wasn't too worried about him after that. Um, Still a tough guy, no, Still yeah. a tough guy. But you know, when you, you know, there's there's guys that had your number and guys you had their number, and uh, you know, there's smaller guys that uh, that had my number, but yeah, he he didn't seem to be one of them. Well, it's always one of those things, right? Like they always say, styles make fights, right? So it. Uh... You know, some guys just match up better against others. But, uh, um, well, another one of the teams, uh, a newer team to the league, is the Nashville Knights. And, of course, they're coached by the legendary Archie Henderson. And, um, yeah. you know, some tough dudes on that team. Bill Heward's back playing there. Uh, Pat Bingham. Uh, Brock Kelly's there. Uh, Aubrey's there for a little bit. Um, and one and Jason Simon, another guy. Um, oh, yeah. But one guy, I don't know if you played against him. Well, it probably didn't mean anything to you at the time. But I, I didn't realize this But until I was just kind of scrolling the rosters. He played three games down there. Was Troy Crowder. Well, I didn't. he didn't play against Troy Crowder. Never played a game against us. But I did, 
I listened to your podcast with Doug Smith, and I don't think that came up, did it? It didn't come. It was in his book, but I didn't talk about it on the podcast. No. Yeah, because I remember. I remember hearing around the league, like uh, when Troy Crowder came down, Buggy was still hanging around there. I think he might have been in Johnstown. Maybe did yes, he play he in Johnstown, Smith? Yeah. Yeah, and I I seem to remember we played them, and uh, the guys were talking about how the kid was in tears because he was going to fight this NHL tough tough guy, Troy Crowder, but. Uh, before before he had a chance at him, he was back up in New Jersey, and uh, uh, Doug's Doug's heart was broken. I think because he uh, thought that would have been his his claim to fame there, kind of thing. So yeah, I remember that for sure. I remember Crowder being down there, but he didn't play against us. Not uh, not in his three games. You know, it was um, well, and then of course you, you know the uh, Johnstown, like you said, Doug was there. For, uh, <clears throat> and you'd mentioned his name earlier, but like. Uh, uh, Mitch Malloy, Rick Boyd, uh, Darren Schwartz, um, you know, um, you know, Brock Kelly again. I mean, like you said, there's always, Johnstown always had a few guys. Oh yeah, definitely. Johnstown was loaded. Uh, like one of the guys there and I'll, uh, I remember when Jeff Rogers came back to the Yorkton area there, I don't know if he told you the story, but he was telling me that, uh, when he was in San Jose, uh, Craig Janney, if you remember Craig Janney, used to be uh, a really good centerman in St. Louis, San Jose. Um, when Jeff went there, he was talking to Jeff, Craig Janney was, and said, where are you from? And they got talking about Saskatchewan, and he asked him about, well, did you know this guy, Darren Schwartz? And uh, and uh, Jeff told him, well, yeah, he's a couple of years older than me, but yeah, I know the guy. He's from close to my neck of the woods. And Craig Janney was telling him that... Uh, Darren Schwartz, somebody owed somebody a, a favor and got Darren Schwartz to try it with the St. Louis Blues. And Darren went down there, and Craig Janney was telling, if I remember the story right, telling uh, Jeff that at the, the camp the year before that uh, Darren Schwartz led the camp in fights, and he led the camp in scoring when they had Brett Hall, El McGinnis, Craig Janney. Like, they had quite the stack team, and uh, Darren Schwartz led the uh, rookie, or the, not the rookie, but the the camp led the camp in scoring and fights, and still they wouldn't keep him keep him in the American League or in the minors. They uh, sent him right back to the East Coast League. I think his skating might have been the issue, but yeah, good player, tough kid. Um, actually, my first year in the Yorkton Terriers, I made the team and he didn't, and he ended up playing Triple A midget somewhere, and yeah, and had a real good hockey career down in the East Coast for sure. But you guys never fought though. No, kind of mutual respect, hometown boys, and he was a scorer, uh, probably more of a scorer than me. But uh, and he he fought all the tough guys, but he really was. Uh, I shouldn't say he wasn't a heavyweight. He fought everybody, but he was he was like six feet or under six feet, and I was uh, a little bit bigger than him. And we really we really we knew each other a bit, and we really didn't have any reason to fight each other down there. There's there was enough guys I could fight in Johnstown. I didn't have to fight. One of my neighbors from back in Saskatchewan here that I knew. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Well, um, well, like you said, that this is the year after this season. Um, you in that the uh, the the Cape Cod there. Um, well, of course, Doug Smith's there. Aubrey's there. Um, there is video of like Smith and Aubrey like fighting in. They're on the same team. And like, it's like in warm-up. I think they're doing like the horseshoe drill or something. They end up fighting each other. Um, were you just like, what did you did you end up fighting Aubrey in that camp? Uh, I don't think I fought Ron down there. No, I don't think Ron 
honestly, after Erie, Ron never really. I played against him a few times, and he was never interested in fighting me. He would always look for other fights, but uh, but he was a tough cat. But yeah, no, he never really was interested had any interest in fighting me back then. Uh, uh, but yeah, I do remember, like like I said earlier, with about Doug Smith, like he didn't care if you were the linesman, the the usher. He didn't, really didn't give a shit. Like he just looked for fights, and he didn't care who it was. And like somebody told him, he you know, there's guys there watching. He should fight Aubrey because he was the toughest guy on the ice. The other team didn't have any, you know, real tough guys. So, well, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll fight him and I'll fight him in warm ups. Then, like, just it's. You wonder why they made a movie that's so unrealistic. Well, it's not unrealistic when you know who you're talking about. You know well, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. He's a he's a crazy crazy cat. Very unique. He is. Um, yeah. Well, he. Uh, um, well, like you said, you 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 had mentioned about going to the Winnipeg Jets camp, um, training camp. Um, they had a pretty uh, that was a pretty tough camp, man. You had like Sean Cronin and Daryl Stanley came back, and uh, yourself um, and and Steve Martinson. Of course, that's who you were referring to. Um, you had a you had a heck of a fight with Steve Martinson. I heard in camp. Yeah, I did. I did have a good fight with him. Uh, um, that summer, I had been training in uh, Edmonton with a buddy of mine, Darren Misiak, and a few other guys. I went up to Edmonton for a couple months and skated. And uh, I'm, I'm using quotation marks right now. Worked out. Um, it was a lot of in the bar, and I worked out a bit, but I should have worked out much harder, to be honest with you. But um, we skated a lot uh, up in North Edmonton there, and there was a guy named Jim Thompson who was a, a tough guy that you probably know very well. You probably heard of Jim Thompson before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So skated with Jim, and he was a, such a great guy. I met him there and skated with him that summer. Went to the horse track together. He knew some of the jockeys and and got us some tips. But he uh, he was telling me every guy that I would have to be aware of at camp who would be tough, who wouldn't be, and. Uh, and when he told me about Sean Cronin, he he told me about this guy that's just huge. Like, the guy is built like a brick shithouse, uh, square shoulders, and he said, big guy, and he said he's a lefty, so you got to be careful. you got to watch Sean Cronin. And, this, and he kept pumping that into my head. So when I went to camp, um, of course, a lot of the guys uh, had some of their own gear, some of the vets, but all the new guys got brand new gear. So it was like we had one little skate in the morning, and then uh, the game started, and that's all it was, playing games, scrimmages the rest of the camp. And uh, my first scrimmage, uh, standing at center ice, played with a Russian kid and Pat Elenick, uh on a line. And uh, on the other side, some guy was beside me, long hair, and I thought it was Sean Cohen. I had no idea. Big, built like a brick shithouse. He had long, golden locks. And the faceoff came to my feet, and I kicked it back, and I turned my back to see where the puck was going, where D were going with the puck. And uh the guy cross-checked me from behind and dropped his gloves by the time I turned around, and it was Steve Martinson. So, uh, yeah, uh, I have that video somewhere. Uh, we squared off and had a real good bout. I uh, went to the penalty box, and the one thing Steve said to me was he said, now don't, don't jump me when we get out of here. And then uh, the next two games later, we were on the same team, and he was kind of coaching me, telling me what I needed to do. Um, what would help me be successful. So I kind of appreciated that. And when we went down to uh, Allen to watch Turner play, uh, Steve called me out of the stands during the pregame skate in the morning, took me in his office, and we had about an hour chat there while Turner was getting cleaned up and ready. And, uh, yeah, I had a good visit, and he talked about me, and he told Turner that I hit him harder than he'd been hit before and, you know, blowing smoke up my kid's ass, making it look like I was probably better than I was. But, uh, yeah, it was good. 
it was good to run, run into him 27, 28 years after I fought him. Um, yeah, well, overall, how was the experience in the Jets camp? How did your, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I know you had, they, you know, in the article, they talked about you having some strong fights and stuff. Overall, how did you think your camp went? Was you having a pretty good camp? I, I did think I had a good camp, to be honest with you. I thought I had a real good camp. I mean, I always knew what my downfall was. I was always a bit of a sloppy skater, short stride and stuff. And uh, the pro scout that actually found me at Joe Lyons camp that got me the trial told me, listen, you got to run down hills, lengthen your stride, improve your stride. And he said, if you can't do it, you at least got to look like a better skater. Work on your smoothness. Like you got to look smoother if you're not going to be any smoother. So, uh that's what I did all summer, and I thought I had a good camp, and they were they were kind of happy with me. Like they gave me a lot of good uh, a lot of good feedback, and then like I say, they uh, when they sent me down, they sent me to Fort Wayne. Um, from there, they didn't send me to the American Hockey League. They sent me to Fort Wayne, and from Fort Wayne, I got uh, they they told me to go to uh, Moncton. Actually, when I got let go at Fort Wayne, they told me go to Moncton, uh, play senior hockey there. Like, because they had the same type of league as they had in Newfoundland with some ex-pros, a really good, uh, kind of a semi-pro senior league, if you if you know what that league was like back then. Yep. And uh, the coach of the Moncton Hawks, the AHL team, was Dave Farish. And he talked to me and said, come out and play in Moncton, play senior out there. Um, we'll be able to call you up from there. And I just, probably the biggest mistake in my hockey career was not going to Moncton to play the senior league. I had been in the East Coast League two years. I was now the captain going back for my third year. Um, thought it was a demotion for myself, and I went back to the East Coast League, finished out my last year. And I had heard I probably got called up one time, but whether the coach never let me go or whatever happened, um, probably the biggest mistake in my hockey was not going out to Moncton and playing in the, the, the Senior Pro League like I did in Newfoundland. I sh- probably should have done it. Never did. Well, like you say, you go you go back to Erie for the one for one more year. You're the captain. Um, after this year, was it sort of like? Well, we'll do the year first. We'll just talk, you know, briefly about the you know the season again. East Coast League is growing. Third year in the league. Uh, now they've got the East and West divisions. There's some new, more new teams. Um, just some of the characters kind of going through it real quick. Um, in Richmond, you had mentioned him earlier. <laughs> and I've heard some stories of this guy, Brian Wells. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he's from well, he's from St. Lazar, right around here, so he's not far from here. Uh, yeah, Wellsy, Wellsy was down there, but uh, he was in Winston Salem. I'm not sure if it was that year. Uh, he was in Winston Salem, but uh, yeah, I'll never forget he. Uh, we were in Winston. Yeah, it, was, it would have been that year because uh, yeah, he fought he, Greg Spencer. Yeah, he got traded to uh, Winston Salem. Yeah, yeah, because he uh, we were playing we were playing Winston Salem and and Wells had been MIA with another guy and I can't remember who that was. It might have been Volhofer uh, or John Blessman maybe, but a couple guys uh, left Winston Salem and took off and they disappeared for about two weeks, and uh, they ended up coming back and. Uh, and when we were playing down there, Brian Wells actually uh, got in a fight with one of our tough young guys that uh, came out of the uh, WHL, a uh, big red-headed kid named uh, Greg Spenrath. So uh, they got they got into a tussle on the ice, dropped the gloves, and uh, had a good fight. And in the old rink in Winston-Salem, when you left, there was only one door. Both dressing rooms were underneath the, the home end. And when you walked out, you all went out behind the goalie net. That was the only door. 
and then you got through this big 40 foot tall leather black curtain that hung there and there was a six foot piece of building that went as a as a walkway to their dressing room and the same thing going to our dressing room so of course they uh once the fight was over between wells and spenrath they took uh wells off first the home player and they took him and they walked into the curtain and they sent them sent them back to his room they gave him a minute to get to his room of course not looking through the curtain they sent greg spenrath out to go to his room and spenrath said all he heard when he started to open the curtain was uh chick 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 like he could hear something and he he looked through the curtain and there was a stick helicoptering at his head brian wells had uh thrown a, a stick at him like a helicopter and then he was running instead of on the mat he was running across on the concrete on his skates and he he's because brian wells is only like five foot eight and greg spenrath is six foot three and brian wells jumped in the air uh wrapped his legs around spenrath's chest waist kind of thing knocked him to the ground and started attacking him and Greg Spenrath just grabbed him. He was a big, strong kid. Pulled him down to hold him like so tight against him so he couldn't hit him from the top. And uh, Wells bit his cheek, almost bit a big chunk out of his cheek. So that's one of the Brian Wells stories I can tell you. Uh, never forget that day. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few guys on the show here that have had a couple different Brian Wells stories. Um, well, you, you, I, I should have started with Erie, of course, uh, on your team. Yeah, Greg Spenrath comes down from the Western League, 30 goals, 407 minutes as a 20-year-old that year. What were your first impressions of, what do they call him, the Viking, of the Viking, Greg Spenrath, who went on to have yeah, a hell of a Greg career? Was... Yeah. Oh, yeah, he uh, he came down there, a young guy out of the WHL, and he was drafted uh, by the Rangers, because uh, Erie, we were affiliated with the Rangers by then. And uh, Greg came in there, first year pro, and Ron actually had me uh, kind of look after him and help him out, work with him a little bit. Like I had fought him, uh, enough and knew the guys around the league. So he had me work with Greg, which was kind of a double-edged sword because uh, Greg actually was a little more skilled than me. So he ended up being the top line left winger. He got my job and I ended up kind of a demotion down to the second line. But uh, that was my last year there. So that's one of the reasons I didn't go back. I, I kind of lost my first line uh in that in that team but yeah spenner was a great kid he was a tough kid he fought all the heavyweights and uh he had some skill to him coming out of whl i don't know much about his whl days but the one year i played with him yeah he uh he had some good tilts down there one with john blessman right in the area i'll never forget he uh john bless was a pretty tough cat and uh yeah spenner fought everybody that came his way uh you know he once he got his feet wet there he was a pretty intimidating man in the league no, absolutely, and uh, well, like I said, just um, uh, well, another team that was at the Roanoke, Roanoke Valley, um, and of course they were led by Wayne Muir um, and Marco Fuster, and Bill Whitfield was there, and Greg Niche, and uh, do you remember? Do you remember? Well, and Aubrey was there briefly, and um, do you remember going to uh, Roanoke Valley? Well, I do because. Uh... They were in the league the first year. Um, the first year the league started, and actually, uh, the league the way the league started, there was five teams, yep. and the guys with that. Yep. 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 Yeah. Out of those five teams, Henry Brab Braden owned uh, the arena in Roanoke, and that's why he started the league. Uh, he was an oil guy, so he owned the arena in, in uh, Roanoke and started the Virginia Lancers out of Roanoke. Then he was. Uh, uh, 25% owner in Erie, 
Uh, I think he owned half of uh, the Johnstown Chiefs, and he might have owned a portion of Winston-Salem. Or uh, like He was in on three or four of the teams, three for sure, maybe four of the teams. That's the whole reason he got the league going, was so he could keep his rink kind of busy. But, uh, yeah, he was the guy who started the whole East Coast Hockey League, an old guy came from a little oil and uh yeah he was a whole start to the whole east coast hockey league down there did you ever have any uh run-ins with Muir or, or uh, rob sangster or fuster or any of those guys uh no there was guys down there that i did fight a lot but i don't a couple of like uh don't don't remember a couple of them like fuster and uh sangster i don't really remember them to be honest with you i'm sure they're i'm sure they were tough in their own right but uh yeah, no, I don't really recall those guys, to be honest with you. Well, we're going back a few years. So, uh, Another one of the team that uh, over in the West Division, uh, Knoxville with Don uh, Don Jackson as their coach. Of course, uh, Stan Drulia was their leading scorer. And um, another guy on their team, uh, Greg Batters, was on the team. and, and uh, But a young kid right out of, right out of junior um, <clears throat> was uh, Paul Laws. Who ended up, of course, playing with the Florida Panthers and anything? Did you ever have any run-ins with Paul Laws? No, I didn't. No, uh, I'm not sure how much he played that year, but uh, yeah, no, I don't really remember him too much. They they had a tough team. They had a skilled team too, like you said, Stan Julia. They had guys like Troy Mick there. Yep, I believe. Uh, was he in Knoxville? Is that what you're talking? Or yeah, yeah, Knoxville. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Gothier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there was, and there was a lot of one thing about that league. There is there was a lot of movement. Like like you say, you'd you'd fight a guy one night, and the next night he'd be showing up on the other team's bench, like uh, twelve hours away. Like guys were picked up and dropped quite often. Like it was only a the, the roster got bigger as we went along. But like I said, it started as a development, really small roster, and it it got bigger as time went on. But uh, like if you if you were losing two players, you didn't really get to replace those two players. You you kind of went shorthanded. So, yeah, it was it was a it was a tough go back then. Like in the early years of that East Coast hockey league, it was a lot different now. When I watched my kid play in it, yeah, um, you know, uh, he was in Utah and they were flying places and and Allen flying places. I remember in the East Coast hockey league, we uh, we had a, a set of games around Thanksgiving against uh, uh, Winston Salem. So we played Winston-Salem on a Friday and Sunday in Erie. And Friday night after the game, we got on our bus and drove like uh, 11 or 12 hours down to Roanoke, played down there, got straight on the bus, got fed by Brabham upstairs in his lounge because he owned our team too, got straight on the bus, drove back and played a team that waited for us overnight a day or two waiting for us. So it was a, it was a crazy schedule. Like you say, five teams, 60, 60 games back in the day and then, uh, we played a few more games later on when more teams were added. It got a little bit, a little bit less of a rivalry, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I'll just uh, I'm going to throw a few more names at you that I won't keep you for much longer. But uh, Cincinnati is in the league at this time, and of course they're coached by uh, legendary Dennis DeRoger and uh, a couple of the guys in the team, Kevin Kerr and Rob Krause. Do you remember those guys? I remember Kevin Kerr because he was a he was a he was a tough guy, but he was also a skilled guy too. Like he, yep. he was a good player, yep. but he was, uh, I think he came from the IHL before that. Like, I think he was up in the IHL or American league before that. Cause he's, yep. he wouldn't, he wouldn't have been a rookie there. Would he have? No, no. He was a Buffalo Sabres pick. He played in Rochester for a bunch of years and yeah. 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 But really good player. Yeah. He yeah. Was, 
Yeah, he was a tough guy, but he was more of a he fought lots, I think, but he was more of a, a player there. I think he was kind of almost like an assistant player coach thing there. Yeah. Did you ever have any run-ins with Steve Shaughnessy? Uh, one of the Shaughnessy's. I don't know if that's the older one or the younger one. Steven Scott Shaughnessy? Yeah, the younger one was in Hampton Roads, and I think I fought him down there. He was a big, big winger, tough winger. Um, he might have been a year younger than me, I think. But uh, I'm not sure which one it was because there was two brothers and yeah, I did. I'm sure. I'm sure I crossed one of their paths down there. I'm not sure which one, but like you said, I had a few fights down there, and I don't really remember every one of them. Especially some of the ones I got pounded. I I, I might forget those <laughs> easier. Yeah, you know? remember the wins, forget the losses. That's probably the way to go. But uh... yeah, plus. Plus, there was less to remember. Less wins to remember. So. <laughs> well, yeah. Louisville had a team, the Ice Hawks, and one of the guys after you know was a was a fellow Saskatchewan guy, uh, Sheldon Gorski. Oh yeah, I played against Gorski when he uh, broke Brian Prop's record in uh, SJHL. Yeah, for sure. Sheldon played a couple years there. He could he could put the biscuit in the net. There's no doubt about that. He was a sniper. I would assume is that Leroy uh, Leroy's brother, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, but Sheldon broke uh, props record stood for about ten years or something, and before McDougal and before Sekundiak and those guys, uh, yeah, Sheldon Gorski t- playing with the Millionaires, he he broke that record. Uh, first guy to break Brian Props record. Yeah, he was a, he was a good scorer, excellent shooter. Yeah, he's from around here too. He's a local guy from around here, from our hometown. Like he's around the area here anyway. Yeah. Well, um, one last, the Nashville Knights, uh, a couple of the names on there, uh, like, um, one of them that I wanted to ask you about, um, was, well, you had Trevor Job was back there, um, Kirk Tomlinson, they call it Machine Gun Tomlinson, did you ever have a uh, run-in with him? Uh, I don't know if I fought Tomlinson, he was a, he was a big right-handed kid, um, did he play with... I don't know. Did he play with the LA Kings for a bit or something? Uh, he was with the Adirondack Adirondack Red Wings and stuff. He was from the OHL. Um, yeah, he and he played in the IHL with Fort Wayne and stuff and Peoria. Okay. Yeah, I remember. I remember his name, but I don't honestly. I don't remember fighting him down. If he was in Nashville, I can't remember him offhand. To be honest with you, I'm sure he'd be saying the same thing about me. <laughs> you remember Ken? But Spen- yeah, no, I. I remember the name for sure, but I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember fighting them. That's for sure. Not offhand. Well, one last name, Ken Spangler. Do you remember him? I do because he was kind of honestly one of the first guys that gave the East Coast League credibility. He was like, uh, wasn't he the last pick in the first round by the Leafs, or was he the first pick in the second round or first, something? Yeah, first pick in the second round. Yep. Yeah, so I remember uh, Wendell Clark was picked. I played Bantam with Wendell here in Yorkton. And I remember uh, Wendell was the first round pick, and then that Spangler came down there, and we thought, okay, like that—that really is like the first guy I remember giving the league some credibility. Like uh, you know, it was just kind of another minor pro league starting up. But when he came down, I think it was the second year, and uh, yeah, he—he was uh, kind of the first highly drafted guy that came down there. I think, yeah. So I remember him for sure. Well, you—you just breezed breezed over playing bantam with Wendell Clark. What was it like playing with Wendell and Bantam? Did you know back then what a talent he was? Could you see it? 
Well, uh, I'll tell you what, the, the shot was kind of the same, but uh, we had a cousin of his that played with us. Uh, like, we had a family from Springside here, the Davies boys, who were all very good hockey players. And uh, Dean Davies was the same age, and they were cousins, him and Wendell. And Dean was actually our most dominant player all the time growing up. And honestly, back then, Dean was a much better skater than Wendell. Um, but I, I do remember at hockey hockey schools like uh, Dennis Polonich and uh, Bernie Federko hockey schools they had in New Yorkton. The guys always, uh, I could, I can remember still them talking about this guy is going to be a future pro player, talking about Wendell. But back then, I always thought that, that Dean Davies was a better player, but well, that tells you how good a scout I was. Obviously, Wendell was quite a bit better. But, uh, yeah, no, I, he, was, he was quite dedicated. I mean, unless his dad drove him to Yorkton, uh, probably 90, 95 miles, every practice, every game, never missed anything that I can remember and uh, showed up every day. And, yeah, he was... He was a really good minor hockey league player, but nothing like what he was later later on. Were you around Coaster at all, Joey? Actually, to be honest with you, Joey Coaster lived at our house when he was a 15-year-old playing with the Terriers. So he played uh, almost up till Christmas, and then he got sent home by Jerry James. Uh, but yeah, he, he lived at our house when he was 15 years old for a part of a season there, went to high school, and then he, he went home and came back as a 16-year-old and uh, played with the... Well, that's they had Dave Brown and Joey Coaster, which was not intimidating at all, I'm sure, for some people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I did know Joey. I knew him. Uh, I knew him when he was in Yorkton for sure. Well, uh, one last name from the East Coast League days, and of course, uh, you know he's playing in Winston Salem, and it's uh, it's the great one's brother, Keith Gretzky. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I remember Keith being down there. Honestly, I remember, and I couldn't tell you the type of car, but I do remember him driving a brand-new sports car that Wayne won in the All-Star game. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but I do remember him uh, gift, getting gifted a brand-new sports car when he was down there for sure. Yeah, Keith, he, he, he looked a lot like Wayne. Same build, uh, same same type of game, but, uh, yeah, nowhere near as good for sure, obviously, if he was down there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was just, yeah. It's, it's interesting when you look at him and Brent, uh, the other one. Um, you know, they're actually, like, really solid OHL players. And, you know, but, I mean, you just talk about, like, that's just too big of a shadow, right? Like, it's just, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do that's ever going to be anywhere near Wayne, right? So, because even just looking at Keith. No, what I... Yeah. Hey. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think, I think, uh, I, think I, I think Brent was more of a like your standard hockey player. Like, I don't think he was built like a, like the other Gretzkys, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I think he had a, wasn't he a little bit bigger boy? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Keith, Keith was just like Wayne. He was scrawny and, yeah, he wasn't, uh, he was he was quite slight. Skilled, still fairly skilled for that level, but, yeah. but for that level, yeah. Yeah. For sure, I remember him. Well, that, um, you know, so you, you you wrap up your third and well, it turns out to be your final year of pro. Um, at that point, was it just enough was enough, or you just you didn't what like why didn't you keep playing? Like, because you're still young. You're what are you twenty four, twenty five? Like, was it just you had enough? Well, I was twenty four years old, and I actually I was home, and I was uh, just getting ready to go to Edmonton to train for a couple train for a month or two, you know, skate and and work out with some guys and hang out in Edmonton again, and. uh what happened was our, our family business here, we owned a, owned a garbage company, and it was kind of in transition where uh, 
where my brother had a lot on his plate at the time and my dad said like okay how much do you really want to chase this dream like you're 24 years old going to be 25 like what's the plan here do you what do you think i think he still would have supported me had i decided to go back and uh and play but uh, at the time i just thought you know like like i said greg spenrath had come in so in erie uh, if he was back, I don't think I would have been a top line winger anymore. So, uh, I still put up a few numbers, but I thought, yeah, you know what? It might be time to pull the pin and change directions here. So stayed at home, uh, working for the family company, ended up buying it with my brother eventually. And, uh, yeah, and started playing senior hockey, making a little money and having a blast and, uh, yeah, and eventually coaching my own kids and, and, uh, yeah, I, enjoy, I, I, I don't think I regret the, I don't know that I would have ended up any different if I was stuck down there. I might've been one of those guys that played another eight or nine years and, you know, regretted staying longer. So I don't regret leaving when I did. I had, I had a blast for three years. Uh, no regrets at all. Excellent. Well, and like you said, your son, uh, Turner played, uh, you know, four years in the Western hockey league in Seattle. And then, uh, you know, uh, playing pro and just finished up with the uh, Iowa Wild, the American League. And um, how, how rewarding is that, uh, you know, to watch his journey through pro hockey, Ben? Oh, it's unreal, honestly. Like, uh, I coached both of my kids growing up. Uh, Turner was uh, always always played more of the elite level, so I, I coached him a lot in spring hockey and then, uh, um, in the, yeah, in the double-A stuff as well. Um Although Brody was a skilled little guy, Turner always uh, was a little more dedicated. So it was fun coaching him. Uh, he was always a, kind of an underdog. Like he was, uh, I, I always joked that he was bred to be like a Brad Marsh, a stay-at-home D-man. Um, but he's turned out to be more of a two-way guy. Like he, he's played in the ECHL after, like you said, he was in the WHL. And he never had a, uh, opportunities in the WHL to be a power play guy. Obviously, they had such skilled guys there with Ethan Bear and uh, Barzal and Grop. And the guys they had there went on and on. It was such a strong team and a great group that he came up with there in Seattle for four years. Uh, that His game's really developed and he's really maturing. Like, uh, I mean, he's got a ways to go, but uh, he's still got his eye on the prize. And he still, I think he still wants to be an NHLer. Um, whether he gets there or not, I mean, I don't see why he won't. There's guys that I see going up and playing every day that are, uh, you know, have similar skill sets to him. He's got some things to offer that teams are looking for. Like he, uh, he was in Iowa there for a couple of years and fought his way to be a regular guy. And I think he's a kind of a top pair guy in the AHL now. And uh, like they finished outside the playoffs, but had the fourth best uh, PK in the in the whole American Hockey League, and he's a big part of that. So. You know, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of what he's accomplished, and I don't think he's done yet. I think he wants to keep chasing the dream, and I support that 100% for sure. I mean, you know, I don't want him quitting at 24 and trying to be a garbage man. That's why I got rid of the company. He's got no nowhere to go but the hockey road now. <laughs> well, I know the other day I was joking. I, I put up his uh, his fight from prospect camp. There's I had a picture of one of his fights there, and uh, I, I asked, did oh? uh did you, did you, uh, I, I was bugging you if he, if he had the, uh, did you, did he ever show, pull him aside and show him any fight tips? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I've tried in the past, but honestly, to be honest with you there, he's the, he's a completely different hockey player than I am. I, I was a forward and I, I fought to get my ice time type of thing. And he's more of a guy that gets his ice time and fights for more of a purpose. Like, 
last year, I think Iowa was really happy. They had uh, with with COVID there, the OHL didn't go, and they put him on uh, a defense pairing with a young guy O'Rourke that played for Team Canada. You probably know him. Yeah. And uh, like like Turner got in one or two fights just because you know that guy got mistreated. And Turner Turner's not like me. He's not a heavyweight that wants to go out and uh, is going to do it every night or or probably needs to do it i needed to do it to stay in the leagues and be be successful but he's a good enough player that it's part of his game but it's not a majority of his game which is which is probably pretty good he uh he just had surgery at the end of the season finished up with uh with an injury the last uh few weeks and ended up getting surgery after fighting keith primo's kid and he he hurt his hand a bit so he's uh recouping from that and getting in shape ready to go and find a new contract for next year so Looking forward to see where he ends up. That's part of our winter holidays. Following hockey around, going to watch some hockey down in the states. Yes, I've seen some of your pictures. That uh, that hey, that's that's fun. If you could, that's that's a hell of a trip for sure. Um, well, I got to say, th- th- this was a hell of a trip. I really enjoyed this. Well, I, I, I thought this was a lot of fun, and I really want to thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you, there. I really appreciate it. it was a great catching up with you. I, I had to go back and listen to a few of your uh, podcasts, and I really, enjoy, really enjoyed a few of your shows. I'll, I'll be an avid listener from now on, guaranteed, buddy. Well, hey, I, I appreciate that, and uh, I don't know. I might have to use the uh, the the Grant Ottenbright uh, Rolodex here. I might, you know, I might need you to, you, I might need you to hook me up with Brock Kelly. Maybe we'll have to get him on the show, get his perspective oh. of what it was like fighting Grant Ottenbright. Get that well, side of the story. Maybe I won't get his information. It might be a little different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. I would definitely definitely be able to help you out with some of that stuff. Yeah, I got uh, – that's the one wonderful thing. I, I love Facebook. I uh, I get in touch with guys I played against, never talked to for 30 years. Guys I fought, guys I played with, I keep in touch. Unfortunately, you uh, you find out some of the guys aren't around anymore, like my yeah. buddy Darren Misiak there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, – it's a great tool to keep in touch, and it's it's been it's been great. I, I I've enjoyed catching up with some of these guys over Facebook, which is you know not something you expect to hear a, a tough guy talk about. But yeah, I enjoy it. To be honest with you, if you need a hand, I can definitely find you some guys. Well, no, I appreciate that. No, and it was uh, yeah, like you said, with social media, it sometimes can be a both a blessing and a curse. I mean, there's certainly some some parts of uh, social media that uh, can be a little eye rolling and gets a little much at times, but. Facebook, uh, of well, it got me in touch with you and uh, got got us talking. And of course, I've seen, like you said, uh, Brock Kelly and Rick Boyd and those guys on there as well. So, yeah, it's been a great tool to get a get in touch with you guys and uh, and do the and for a podcaster. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a really great tool to to track you guys down. So, yeah, it's cool who you see on there and stuff. So, yeah, hopefully, going forward, we get a few more guys, but. Uh, I really want, again, I want to thank you. I know we've talked a long time here. I've taken up enough of your time. But, uh, again, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No problem, Darren. You take care. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Grant. Take it easy. Thank you. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 